0: i myself on
1: being a survivor, but surviving is just another loop. Drop it.
0: Duncan and both come correct.
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, it's your old pal Bo here, and I'm here with Duncan. Say hi, Duncan. Does not compute, Bo. Does not compute. Ah, uh, does not. Does we, not. Does we not, got him locked does, up. Hold on. All you got to uh, do, you just got to hit a switch uh, right back here. And uh, hi, everyone. Ah, perfect. Uh, <laughs> analysis mode, Duncan. So we have skipped uh, a a little bit of time here. Um, We're playing some catch-up here, Duncan, with uh, Duncan and Bo Go to Westworld, which is the show that uh, the folks are listening to this very second. Mm -hmm. And we thought – here was our thinking. So we we were behind a little bit, so we were going to do episodes five and six because six had so much to talk about. Yes. So then uh, we, we start talking about five, and it turns into a big show. And we decide, like, hey, uh, we're gonna talk about six on it on its own. Yes. But then episode seven happened, and that was even more stuff than episode <laughs> six. So screw it, we're gonna we're gonna power through this. We're gonna be caught up as of this episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh buckle in uh because we are going through episodes six and seven today of uh westworld the hbo television series which involves uh guest going to a futuristic theme park and meeting duncan's family so <laughs> i'm not a robot why do you keep saying that bro? i yeah we're, where's the door duncan um <laughs> we're gonna get to the bottom of the shit <laughs> so uh but so we're gonna jump right into it we're we're not gonna screw around uh duncan's doing fine i'm doing fine we're not we're not gonna chit chat uh everybody's everybody's fine so the adversary the adversary is shut up we're gonna get through this the adversary is uh episode six of the of the series of 10 planned episode the episodes this season it is directed uh-huh. by fred toy or Toyer uh toyer if you're nasty um <laughs> <laughs> he did both. Uh, I I feel that we're all right doing these two
2: episodes on the same show cuz he did this one and the next one so. Yeah,
1: it feels and they, they, there's a lot of connective tissue here. Uh Agreed. Um but uh Fred Toy, or Toye um is basically a television director has done everything from uh The Good Wife, did eleven twenty two sixty three. did Hawaii 50, not the original. Um you know, just a kind of a journeyman director. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, he certainly acquits himself uh, well here. Um, This was written again by Jonathan Nolan and uh, an actress and writer by the name of Hallie Gross, um, who doesn't have a lot of writing credits. It was interesting to kind of see that this episode and the next are both kind of written and directed by not necessarily folks new to the scene or anything, but not luminaries, you know. Mm-hmm. and uh but they're the, the critical episodes of this season so far mm-hmm. so uh, there is a lot of faith placed in uh in the writing and directing team that is is not necessarily uh what you would call you know cinematic in terms of their background yeah, yeah but, I think i think, but it's um, good
2: yeah, I was gonna say i think where where this particular director. I kind of stepped into his own as I think one of these very early projects was a ton of the TV show The Fringe, um, and Fringe had a lot of story to get through. So I, I kind of feel like they're like that, right? These these episodes, we just need to get, we just need to get some stuff out. We need to get some stuff off our chest onto the screen. This guy is a guy that we're going to give him to do it, and um, yeah, I, I thought I actually thought of um, once again jump in the head slightly. Um, I think these two were incredibly well paced scripted and written as well uh, as well as directed so i think he I, i'd be more interested to see him come back and do more work on the show in the second season which has already been announced thank christ
1: bo yeah thank christ yep uh thanks to you dear listeners you have because you love this podcast so very much you managed to get the show itself renewed for another season uh, and god <laughs> bless your hard work so <laughs> So the kind of power they wield, Duncan. Don't kid yourself. Yes. It's almost mm-hmm. Scanner's level of, of frightening. Um, so the episode begins with uh, Maeve um, waking up. Uh, no more Dolores waking up at, at the beginning, even though uh, 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 that was the established way to open a show for several episodes. This time it's mm-hmm. Maeve. And um, she uh, goes about her business, goes uh, to the bar. Uh, the, the saloon um, does not seem particularly rattled by, say, gunfights in the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she gets to the... Uh, it's the Mariposa, right, is the name of the the saloon, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. And, and uh, Clementine is about to, you know, be follow her loop and go try to seduce a, a new guest who has arrived. And Maeve is like, no, 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 I got this. So... <laughs> She takes him uh, upstairs and in a scene that uh probably has the character of the guest questioning while you're spending forty thousand dollars a day on this um, <laughs> unless you're in it i well, yeah, but it was still like you could tell he was not expecting this from a host and yeah. because uh Mave is uh. Pretty much tell, tells him, like, hey, uh, I brought you up here, but you're probably not going to be able to get it up. Uh, and yeah. and just starts questioning his masculinity left and right, which, I mean, yes, I pay extra from a prostitute for that. But I think if you're not expecting it, um, it results in what the scene culminates in, which is her saying, like, you're going to have to choke me out here. Um, yeah. And he does. He, he ends up choking her Uh, psychologically scars this man
2: this man's new sexual bent so to speak is now killing
1: women while she basically creates a serial killer well she done (laughs) at (laughs) at least a guy who can only orgasm in Westworld (laughs) <laughs> fucking traumatizing this poor
2: guy this poor, poor guy basically slept with the equivalent would be like sleeping with a sleeping with a, like having sex with your fleshlight and your fleshlight just like well probably you're drilling it just telling you you know is it in
1: yet right um, <laughs> yeah you probably can't get hard anymore you loser and Yeah, it's rough, (laughs) uh,
2: (laughs) but I've seen.
1: Yeah, it's really great, but it it reveals that Maeve is now fully awake. Like even as soon as she wakes up, she's not stuck in the loop. Um, and and she's and even has a conversation with Clementine where you can see her trying not to say the same thing over and over again. Um.
2: But now why why is she like to to enlighten the listeners who may not have realized this,
1: why is she doing this? Why is she so keen to die? Well, because she wants to get back to Felix and Sylvester. She is she is now aware that there is something other than this world that she's in. Yeah. And she wants to know more and more about that. And so yeah, so she ends up coaxing a guest to murder her and then wakes up and scares poor felix once more and she's just like huh, ah, okay i'm back now where were we <laughs> so uh may let's just be real about this Mave is the coolest character on this show right now uh throughout- i think
2: yeah you know what's really weird about this show is how they have very very cleverly made in my opinion one of the main characters that out of a character who in the first two episodes was really just background um, and she has... Every time she's on the screen, she's... I mean, not, not to belittle anything she did earlier on in the show. In the first two episodes, she was a great character, but if I had said to you after episode two, by the way, you're going to be really looking forward to the time that Maeve's on the screen, and we're going to have a huge story arc with her, I could imagine you telling me, eh, no, I'd much rather follow Teddy, the man in black, and Dolores. That's kind of where I see the story going. Um, her story is, to me at the moment, one of the ones where every, every time they they go back to that character just because of the way she's playing it as well. Andy Newton's like absolutely owning this role completely. But from my point of view, her journey, which links into, we'll come back to later on, but we've got some listener feedback with a particular theory that one of our listeners has with this character in mind. Um, her journey just now in the in the thing to me is more interesting than the Dolores story at the moment. I, I really find myself like, what, what's, what's Maeve going to do now? Um, and it's the way she plays it. I, I think is is incredible. Her, her interactions not only with the hosts, who she knows are just robots, um, as well as poor Felix and Sylvester. Who poor F- oh, Felix is just the the shame for that guy. That all that guy wants to do is program some robots, and he's basically a hostage now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he has become a, a you know a Patty Hearst in this scenario <laughs> nice. and it, and it's really Sylvester that uh I think later in the episode in fact he he says like is, has this become some kind of hentai shit for you like <laughs> like you have a real problem but even he unfortunately is, is not quite able to get out from under uh Maeve's influence yeah and Thandie Newton's fantastic I mean just that blanket statement will make for the following two episodes like she is She's remarkable on screen every time she's on screen and, and sometimes in the uh, somewhat vulnerable position of being naked on screen. Yeah. um, Which should be a position of weakness and vulnerability for that character, but not for Thandie Newton. She rocks Mm -hmm. it. She, she is confident and, and sometimes a little scary and, uh, and does it all with, with grace and, and, oh man, she's great on this show. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, once we're back at Delos, though, we're not, uh, we're not totally concentrated on Maeve uh, because we have a little bit of a revelation with uh, Bernard and Elsie. And what we have learned is that there is uh, the implants that we discovered in, in, in the hosts, in the Rubits. Um, those are actually um, tracking uh it's industrialist but espionage at the end of the day they're tracking the movements and and getting into the the core of of these hosts and are also uh broadcasting it uh up to a satellite and uh it has one of my favorite lines in this episode which is when elsie says like hey um this is it turns out broadcasting up to delos satellites Mm -hmm. so it may be corporate espionage, but it seems to be coming from within the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, Elsie says, well, is this a glass half full or glass half empty situation? And Bernard says, we're engineers. Uh, we we say that the uh, the design of the glass was not sufficient for the function. <laughs> and something like that. I'm screwing the lineup, but it was something like that it was great. And um, so, yeah, and, and what, what's revealed is they're going to track, Uh, these hosts down uh, Mm -hmm. or or try to figure out like where the hosts went and and what interfered with the programming. But uh, they are, um, uh, sorry, uh, the line was it, it means the glass has been manufactured to the wrong specifications Mm -hmm. was the line. So anyway, sorry. Um, (laughs) I I, I had to get that right. Um, But uh, so Bernard has to go downstairs to the old uh, computer system, because the information that's being gathered is using the early hosts uh, programming, which is not the new host programming.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: uh, and I'm dumbing this down because I'm not a smart person. And <laughs> so, there there's stuff on the old hosts, like the 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 OG original hosts. Uh, that is no longer the OG hosts are, that is no longer in the new host. And Bernard is like, Hey, this programming is OG programming. I got to go downstairs where we have all the mm-hmm. OG computers
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: uh, it's a legacy geopositioning system. So fuck you. Uh, that's what it was. <laughs> that's what they've got. That's what they got to break down. Um, and, uh, so he does, he goes down into the belly of, uh, Delos. And, There's a nice little nod in
2: this. Did you see? Did you notice uh, in the background the original, uh, original Man in Black um, is kind of blurred out. It's like a, a, an old host in the background. Oh yeah, I, I, I did not. It's notice just that. for a
1: split second. Like the old Yo Brenner one.
2: Yeah, Yo Brenner. It's yeah. basically he's blurred out, so obviously can't see the face, but it's the entire get-up of Yo Brenners in there. Um, and background in that scene and
1: as it's like one of those moments that when you kind of see you're just like oh i love this show even more (laughs) and all all right so here here's one question and you can chalk this up to because television Bo, but Mm -hmm. why is the og legacy geocaching software machine in the scariest part of the building of just like let's put this in the dankest place where lights don't work and there's constant dripping water and possibly uh like, you know, a ghost is down I th- there. It-
2: I think that there's, there's two there's two things that I find really interesting about it, like the use of it, is that there's a kind of, there's a practical and a symbolic um, sort of rationale for why they're doing it, from for my opinion. The, the kind of, the practical thing about this is I think that the park is just literally constantly built upon, very much like the code, they just keep building upon itself. So I imagine that that, at one point was like the, the command center, the like greatest, you know, the, the great hub, the great brain of the park. And then they just started building above it, you know, more for, instead of gutting everything out, they just built a new level and then just started like move things up. Um, so as, as the park gets older, as more things happen, they just keep moving up the levels. Um, and also kind of like on some level, the, the kind of symbolic thing of, like, obviously the, when you when you think about like having to reach back into the past, and into your brain or or, or memories or things like that or, or go back in time. There's always that sinister sort of connotation that goes with that. You know, as well whether it's in literature or sp- specifically in science fiction. Um, that I quite like that idea as well. That by kind of going into the the dark. Heart and the, the past of the park, and you know, where things because th- you've got the, the the iteration of the park just now is supposed to be the best. So, I love this idea of them almost kind of low teching it down into these dark things they, to, that only certain people know where they are and certain people know how it work as well. Like, people that have been there, like you say, OG, um, kind of understand it as well. I love that aspect. I, I, I kind of would feel slightly disappointed if it was a case of. You know, like right, right, We need to go to this system, and then he just sits down and like goes into his computer, types a password, in. I love this kind of which he probably could do. It's in the future. I love this idea. Of someone actually has to physically stand up and go to the the most horrible bit. Of this like a place that looks like if you scratch yourself, you need a tetanus jag. Right. Um, I You know, I love that idea. Uh, so I think it kind of works both ways. You know what I mean? And uh, what well, I I love this scene as well because. Bernard, for all intents and purposes, is I I said it right at the very start. He's kind of Ford's prodigy. He is covering up what he sees as Ford's potential mistake with the code. He covered up for it right back in the first episode. Um and now that there's some sort of weird potential conspiracy with information being leaked out there, you know, he's he's gonna go and do the grunt work, find out exactly what's going on, and then you would imagine take it back to Ford. Um, and that's that's kind of his. I think that's his motivation is to find out what's going on and let Ford know. And he goes down there and he types into the computer and he realizes that there are a couple of hosts that are in the park that are not registered, they're not being monitored, they're you know they're they're not being um, geolocated, so to speak, on the new system. They they kind of they their programming almost predates the new system. Um, to be precise, I think there's five of them.
0: That is um, correct.
2: Five of them. And he knows where they are because of this old system. And he sets off to get some more information before he goes to see Ford. Um, Little does he know that Ford already knows about them.
1: Well, yeah. And and Ford is out uh, doing work of his own. Um, <laughs> only not in creepy, dank basements that need more lighting, and there's just no good OSHA reason for there not to be better lighting in that in that facility. Um, but Ford is out, out in Westworld proper, and uh, going through a, a, a town um, with some of the engineers, and they're saying, like, hey, we're going to have to clear out part of this town. Uh, mm-hmm. to extend the canyon, he's like, no, 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 we've disrupted enough stuff, and blah, blah, blah. But the the important thing is, as he's wandering through the town, he passes by a uh, a table, a wooden table that has the uh, the maze symbol that we have come to know so well, yeah, uh, carved into the surface of the table. Mm-hmm. And so we then cut back to uh, to uh, Ford back at the Dallas Corporation with his head of walls and. Uh, starts rifling through uh some old sketches mm-hmm. in his sketchbook and uh and what does he find there duncan i forgotten <laughs> oh, what does he find it's a, it's sketchbook? it's a picture of dolores it's one of uh arnold 's old notebooks there's a sketch of Dolores but there's also the symbol of the maze inside that in inside that same notebook
2: see there you go this is why we're here and there's two of us so when one of us drops the ball quite clearly on air um it's almost like what happens when a host isn't supposed to recognize something <laughs> right <laughs> you know i just i just blanks out all oh, i saw was an empty book ball.
1: i i saw nothing wrong with that podcast at all <laughs>
2: <laughs> which is what listeners should be saying but not
1: yeah um... <laughs> this doesn't sound like anything at all um, <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we uh, suggesting of course that Arnold is, is is tied intimately to the maze as well as uh which is a theory we've had fun of that so of, of course I, th- I think at this point you'd be a fool to think that he was not somehow uh involved um mm-hmm. but you know uh is he still alive there is some suggestion of that and and so forth but um I don't know yet I don't know yet. I, they're like, I'm, I'm still puzzling that one out for myself, but let's, uh, l- let, let's take a a quick turn out of uh, corporate intrigue into the land of Westerns, which this show occasionally is. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the, it's the man in black and Teddy and, uh, Teddy relates to him, uh, after spying the, the scalp with the, uh, the maze, uh, carved into it or tattooed into it. um, and Teddy says, like, hey, I, uh, that is an old native myth. And I have here, Duncan, uh, the exact quote of how he describes this. Because I feel like it could be important later. Mm-hmm. So Teddy says, uh, the maze itself is the sum of a man's life. The choices he makes, the dreams he hangs on to. And then at the center, there's a legendary man who's been killed over and over countless times. But always clawed his way back to life. The man returned for the last time and vanquished his oppressors in a tireless fury. And uh, he says that he built a house. And around that house, he built a maze so that no one could get to him. And this is uh, probably the clearest description we've had of the maze, of what it is. And even though this is still highly metaphorical, and I still Mm -hmm. say that the maze is not a physical thing, that the maze is Westworld, uh, is my theory. Mm-hmm. Um, that it also describes like okay, we can expect to find a a man at the center of it, and you, the the argument can be made that it's Arnold. Uh, mm-hmm. I can also see an argument uh to be made that it's Dolores or Maeve.
2: Yeah, which the, is essentially if we could touch on that just now. The feedback that we got for our episode five um, was from a listener uh, who puts forward that very idea that Maeve is. The centre of the maze. And I can kind of see after that description where you like, Maeve seems to be on this path of dying a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in some cases, deliberately wanting to die. Um, and each time she does die, she seems to gather more knowledge, so to speak. Now, anyway, um, and certainly moving forward into the next episode, that it, it does make you wonder. He says man, and, and we like we said before, I think the likelihood is it will be a woman and not a man, because yeah, yeah. I I think this show is, is really crying out for that, if you know what I mean. There are there are really strong females in this show, and if we got to the end and found out that the strongest character of all was still a guy, I kind of feel a bit cheated. Um, plus, there's a lot of bad things getting done to these women on this show. Um so I kind of feel that we kind of need that on some level for, for catharsis almost uh, on, on some level in terms of the writing. But those two characters, like we said, Dolores and Maeve to me, are the two that are most the most fascinating in terms of their story arcs thus far. If we still kind of want to put credence into my theory that, well, the theory that I've latched onto, that there's two timelines, certainly one version of Dolores is on that journey which is almost kind of on some level um running parallel to modern day Maeve um and that you know D- Dolores and the quote unquote past scenes with William appears to start to become an aware of you know things like when people are talking about them as robots she shouldn't be able to pick on that she is picking up on that she seems to have been able to move out with her programming she seems to have this you know recognized idea of wanting to escape or be free of whatever she is trapped in now um and certainly Maeve seems to be on in today's time uh, line, if we're once again working on those two timeline teams, Maves fallen following a very, very, very similar path um, as to what old Dolores has. So to me, one of those characters needs to be, if, if it is indeed a person, it has to be one of those two characters. Um, I think for kind of purpose and story, it makes more sense to be Dolores. Um, just because I've got this weird feeling that the man in black and Dolores once again, on the two timeline theories, have something will happen in the the William, if the William is Man in Black, um, and uh, Dolores. Something is going to happen there that's going to pull those two characters away. Um, And then I think they're going to be in a crash course collision towards the end, um, where I think uh, the only person that's going to ultimately be able to stop the Man in Black, if indeed he needs to be stopped, is going to be Dolores. So, um yeah That. these are once again theories i have but yeah I, I, but then again with this show this could just be teddy just talking you know what i mean that's the thing it could it could li- the fact that the maze as a symbol has what appears to be a host in the middle of it might be it might be the shows I'll, remember who's remember who's behind this show this, there's a nolan behind this show so sometimes the obvious answer is not the obvious answer when it comes to how the Nolans approach writing cinema. Look at things like the Prestige. Look at things like Inception. Um, I mean, we could just be we could be falling into a trap that Jonathan Nolan is setting very, very carefully up for us.
1: I I kind of hope that your Admiral Ackbar theory is right. <laughs> That's a trap! <laughs> right the. Yeah, and and I think you're right. I think narratively it's it's more satisfying if if it is either Maeve or Dolores. So uh, I agree, I agree. I, I I hope that's the case. Um, and and my heart my heart says Maeve, and my head says Dolores.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Uh,
1: so the other thing that's going down with the Man in Black and Teddy is Teddy. Uh, they also realize hey they're trying to get across the border they can't get across the border because there were some Union soldiers blocking it and those Union soldiers seem to be uh, related to um, Wyatt yeah. uh, uh,
2: specifically the massacre, the massacre that happened that Teddy um, survived this massacre, I believe that these people because Teddy at one point was part of this group of soldiers Um and why, obviously massacred the entire unit, Teddy surviving, and these people, these Union soldiers, um, are of another battalion um, or brigade or whatever, um, and they need to get past them. They're blocking the way. Um, And this is quite interesting. There are a couple of things. Upon further thought, there's a couple of things that didn't feel overly satisfying in this episode, narratively known what we know about this show. And one of them is about to come up in, in this scene. Um, the man in black can't die
1: in the park. So why does he risk Teddy to go down with him? I, I felt like it was really Teddy kind of taking charge there that the man in black was not putting him in harm's way. It was, it was Teddy's new programming. That makes him a little bolder and a little more bloodthirsty. Yeah. Um, so Because the Man in Black r- registers a lot of surprise when this happens.
2: Oh, yeah, just a bat.
1: Yeah, and, it, you know, it says something to the effect of, like, damn, Teddy, I didn't think you had it in you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, right, but before we get to that totally rocking use of a Gatlin gun, um, <laughs> which I am for, by the way, anytime you want to pull a Gatlin gun out in any form of media, I don't care if it's book video game movie. I am pro Gatling gun.
2: It's totally it's is basically that scene from from uh the fourth Rambo movie where he just jumps to the back of that car and just explodes that guy in front of him with that giant.
0: Yeah, well goes. yeah. It's
1: it's pretty wonderful. Uh but I, I think it's also a tip of the hat to Outlaw Josie Wales, which has mm-hmm. a scene of somebody, you know, firing a Gatling gun out the back of a wagon and uh mm-hmm. Um, and man, I love that movie in in so many ways. Uh, but all right. So, so let's go back to Dallas real quick because we have probably my personal favorite scene of the, of the episode, Mm -hmm. uh, which is Maeve and Felix, uh, Maeve's awake and, and she's starting to ask fundamental questions, Duncan. She's asking, um, you know, who, who am I? Why am I here? Like the big questions. And Mm -hmm felix is telling her like hey you're yes we're very much like one another like now more than ever and a couple of important notes though he points out that her processing power is way better than a human brain yeah but he says you know there's a downside which is that you're under our, our control and then he corrects himself and he says not maybe not our control their control yeah uh because uh Felix is picking sides, and I think he is team Maeve. <laughs> and and team delos may may have a real problem with that um so, so the 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 all right so here's the part of the scene I really like in addition to this moment of like i i i a personal theory of mine is that one of the Early signs of like sentience and consciousness is that kind of self-reflection, right? It's it, it's mm-hmm. who am I? What am I made of? How did I get here? All that stuff, and that's what Mave is exhibiting. and I think that's really interesting. And then uh, she says, like, no, 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 I I, I control myself. And he's like, no. Nah. And he pulls up the uh, the behavior tablet and mm-hmm. pulls up her dialogue tree and says, these are all the possible combinations of words that you are going to say mm-hmm. and as she speaks they light up just ahead yeah and she starts trying to form a sentence that isn't shown on the tablet and has a good old-fashioned like robot breakdown of yes does a real <laughs> like does not compute and just locks the fuck up and I love it. I love, I love the idea that, like, trying to break out of your programming just makes you just stop. You just shut yeah. down. Uh, and then Felix is like, ah, oh, shit, I done broke. <laughs> I done broke Maeve <laughs> here, everybody. And I got a lot of explaining to do uh, mm-hmm. when, when I have to ask someone to fix her.
2: Yeah. To, to your point about th- those questions, those are the questions that are asked of the host's when they're pulled out is this idea of did anything that happened in there make you wonder where you are or where you came from? So as this this is almost appears to be if the answer is yes, um that's when they get pulled out of the park and decommissioned. Um so I I, I think you're I think you're spot on with that. These are these are these are issues that they have to look in into when these programmers or the, the people that work beside Bernard who sit down and go through all the questions with them, that's what they're looking for is even a hint of of a deviation from the program
1: or a growth in the program that's not supposed to be there yes yes and and speaking of uh Bernard Duncan, um, yes. he gets dumped like hell um so he didn't get he's, he didn't get peed in his mouth, so no, no, no! But, no, but that's that, a, as an
2: actress, she's been known to do in other movies. So, yeah.
1: just saying, he got let off lightly. Well, but that's a sign of love, and clearly the love is gone here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the pea is gone. The love is gone. Yeah, it's
2: it's turned from gold to rust. Uh, yeah, he basically goes up. He goes up to see Teresa, and Teresa says, "Do you know that Ford knows about us?" And he's like, ah, what does it matter and all the rest? And she's like, no, no, it, it, it matters. It, it matters. I am in the QA department. My whole job here is to oversee what your department is doing. And th- that can't work. You, you know, I am being, ve- I am almost auditing or being very critical of, of what your department is doing. There is no trust in my ability to do my job if it's found out that you are sleeping with me. You know, that that I, I lose all authority at that point, so we can't do it. So let's just be adults about things. It was a bit of fun. We had, you know, we had a bit of this, we had a bit of that. Let's depart um, on amicable terms and go back to me being your boss and you being my bitch. Yeah, but she didn't say bitch,
1: but that's what she meant, of course. Uh, I think it's certainly implied. Um, uh, mm-hmm. and and God bless him, you know, Bernard takes it like a man, it's like, all right, well. Uh, I guess smell you later is where we're leaving this.
0: <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> he's way too classy to ever say that, but that's kind of <laughs> like that. That's kind of where we end up. And meanwhile, uh, Maeve has come to, and immediately is like, you said upstairs, what are you talking about? And Felix is like, ah, I can't take you up there. You know, that's, uh, you don't need to see that. And she's, she's like, well, you're going to take me upstairs. And he does and we then go on a tour of the facility and it is uh it, it is a, an incredible <laughs> scene yeah because you see at, like all these stages of development of the hosts and different animals and like dudes playing cards together and being monitored by technicians and all that stuff and yeah it's really great i mean it's it, it's one of those things that we can we can kind of folate the scene a bit and talk mm-hmm. about how awesome it is. It really is kind of like you have to be in that moment and see it. it it's so uh, kind of elegiac, you know, the, with the music yep. playing and Maeve walking through and, and seeing her origin story in in a mm-hmm. way and it's it's world building which i think is great because a lot of a lot of tv
2: shows take a a lot of stories or movies can take quite a bit of time to build a perspective of how big or how vast or how complicated something is and westworld is really good at doing it in snippets and making you're just conveying so much information in such a short period of time and this is basically it's like a three minute scene with like you said like very kind of music over the top but it's you know there's there's importance in it and we just get to see so many elements of the park which we are t- uh, we're focusing on hosts yeah I never considered for what I the first time I considered that the animals were also robots was when I was working on the bird but when you start seeing things like um cattle and ox you know get getting worked on and built it's when you start to realize well, everything in this park is a robot apart from the guests like everything is programmed and it gives a scale and an idea Consider how many animals we've seen already or the, all the horses and all the rest they are all hosts as well It's as nuts it's, but it's, it's such a well put together scene so so good
1: yeah it, it's it's absolutely fantastic and it culminates in uh Maeve and Felix um at the elevator, he's he's telling her like you need to you need to go back downstairs. Like you're gonna get caught and you're gonna get decommissioned and all of this is gonna be over. Mm-hmm. And before he can get her downstairs, they catch you know a sort of one of those lobby ads. If you've ever been in the building uh, or the lobby of a uh, a business building, um, that shows on their big flat screens on on the main wall, like you know here's the Pfizer. Uh, Thirty second spot to tell you how great Pfizer is, and this is the same thing. It's a big lobby screen with uh "Here's what's great about Westworld," and mm. it's showing scenes of adventure and the sexy ladies at the Mariposa and all that stuff. And it it wraps up with Maeve and this daughter that she's been having flashbacks about you know, like holding hands and this really beautiful shot of the sun behind them as they're walking through the wheat and stuff. And obviously this raises some more questions for Maeve, which is how did, how were you able to see my life like that? And uh-huh. our, the way she puts it is how, how did you have my dreams? And, uh, the, you know, at this point, Felix kind of lets her in on the notion of your erased periodically you haven't been at the mariposa all that long even though you think you have um you know all that stuff and then uh poor sylvester walks in and is like hey what's, what's going on here and next thing we know may have has a scalpel to his throat and uh he says like hey you can't hurt me but she makes it pretty clear like oh yeah i can yeah so Maeve is not only self-aware, seemingly, uh, she is also, uh, you know, capable of murdering a guest or another human uh, should should the need arise. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to go out on a limb here, Duncan. I have a feeling that uh, some hosts are going to kill some guests on this show. <laughs> yeah I think it's inevitable that's that's what uh, if you're if you're like me and Bo that's where you want to see the show going like really badly want to see the show going yeah yeah I mean it's gonna happen we're just we're getting there slowly but there you know it's a real like dawn of the planet of the apes scenario of like all right we've just got to see the tension rise and rise in pretty soon those monkeys are going to be riding horses and and have machine guns so just <laughs> everybody be cool we're going to get there uh <gasps> <so laughs> that is my my westworld theory of the week uh it's similarities to monkeys on horseback um mm. so at this point in the show uh teresa uh rolls out to find uh, the the rider who's oh man what's his name i always forget this dude's name um uh, lee. lee yeah that's right so she goes out to Lee, who, after uh, Anthony Hopkins stepped all over his uh, storyline, has apparently been doing nothing but drinking, uh, which I can <laughs> respect. <laughs> so he says, "Like, hey, I'm all like, I'm all burned out. I'm just gonna drink and fuck for a while."
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, Teresa says, "Look, like all these storylines that are being interrupted because of the new construction Ford's doing, they need somebody to." Uh, to write, um, the, kind of their way out of the the things that have been broken, um, rewrites, if you will, on the on the hosts in the park. And Lee says he's uh, creatively flaccid, which is a phrase I like. And <laughs> uh, and he's not going to um, not going to do any work. But Teresa reminds him, like, hey, at a certain point, maybe Ford's not going to be around anymore. And yeah. do you really want to just throw a tantrum and and lose out on this uh, this particular opportunity, or you know, do you want to man up and and start writing some stuff? Uh, Lee chooses the latter. Um, but we'll. Uh... <laughs> well, it looked like he may go down the far- it
2: It looked like almost she had him, and then. Nah, he's he he slips into how I how I was kind of you know, I was kind of thinking well, that's a lot of tasty looking alcohol and a lot of really attractive looking
1: women. Yeah, it's understandable, but also <laughs> you're all you're also being kind of a lazy prick.
2: Oh, he's, he's he's in in this country we have a term called spitting the dummy. Um, Go on, throat, I think the the the, the equivalent. Uh, Although in saying this, I think it's—I no, think it's still a British saying—or throwing all the toys at the pram, so its, it's having a childish kind of tantrum, and that's essential. What he does, he spits the dummy at this point, and uh, even though he knows what he should do, he's kind of like, eh, eh. I'll just, I'll just keep having a drink." I mean, yeah, fuck it.
1: Yep, two tears in a bucket. We say here in America, Duncan, motherfucker. <laughs> um uh, that is that is lee's uh mo uh for for much of that scene and we'll we'll circle back to him but but we also have to hit up uh the man in black and teddy for their big moment um yeah and this is one of those moments in the show where i don't know that there's a lot of subtext or or you know meaning to call out of the scene necessarily violence bull <laughs> it's just good old-fashioned western violence and Uh, So the man in black and Teddy have uh, the idea that they're going to infiltrate this camp of, uh, you know, corrupted Union soldiers Mm -hmm. um, by getting a couple of outfits in uh, a plan that I'm sure was derived from Blazing Saddles. And (laughs) the the, uh, at that point, (laughs) the man in black and Teddy roll up into this camp in their Union officer outfits. But it, it does all, no good at all. Like, th- there are three steps into the camp and someone is like, hey, are you Teddy? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you kind of screwed ev- uh, everything up in Escalante. And, and uh, Teddy is like, you don't know what happened in Escalante. And then they start shooting. And uh, we kind of cut between that and Lee at the bar, strangely enough where yep. he is hitting on a uh a lovely lady and and you know predicting what storylines she likes and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh pretty much is like hey if you want to get down you let me know and he also lets it slip that hey there are also some weird things happening with some of the hosts in the park mm-hmm. so good job lee uh <laughs> keep drinking and we'll see how all that turns out later in the episode um yeah. <laughs> so uh from there we're back to uh Bernard and Elsie and Elsie is making the case for like hey we need uh we need to find out what's going on like people are gonna be fired over what's happening in the park we think Teresa is involved so let's you know let's light it up you know we're not there's no reason that we should be beholden to uh teresa we should you know get our proof and 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 expose all of this like we don't need to be the ones with our heads on the chopping block
0: yeah
2: I quite, I quite like this as well because previously she has put this case forward in this way to bernard but bernard was in a relationship with teresa so it was like no this is above your pay grade what's what's your job title again um has been dumped and now he's like yeah 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 <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I agree. Let's do something about it.
1: Yeah. And uh so, you know, Bernard gets uh gets a little investigatory mm-hmm. and is asking about uh, some of these hosts that are are, you know, not on the grid and in one area of the park in particular that has been cordoned off, it is not allowed to be developed or anything. And Bernard Uh, asks well how many techs have been out there in that area and he is told well no one goes out there Mm -hmm. and that raises a bit of a red flag as well as the fact that hey you know we believe that maybe these un uh unaccounted for hosts are in this area so Mm -hmm. bernard goes out there and finds uh the creepiest wax museum you ever did see (laughs) uh basically finds a home in the uh in the middle of nowhere uh, and yep. it, it does look kind of like an old English home, uh, based on what I know of them. Mm-hmm. And he goes inside, and there's a host family including the boy that we've seen a couple of times uh, throughout uh, the episodes, and uh, they react harshly to him wandering into their house. And Bernard says, "Hey, uh, stop that, you guys," and they don't which is unusual for hosts. So Mm -hmm. they do not listen to commands, but in walks, um, creepy (laughs) America's creepy uncle, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Uh. (laughs) to to basically stop them from hurting, uh, Bernard. And then he he tells the story of, Hey, these were created by Arnold. Uh, for me, they only respond to my commands as well as Arnold's. Um, that it is uh you know his family his father he's made some changes to his father's programming to be a little bit more of an alcoholic it seems (laughs) so Uh,
2: yeah just just a just a bit
1: going for accuracy um and so bernard is very upset by this uh because they are um they are not new new hosts at all they have Uh, all the primitive technology and stuff and and so therefore theoretically susceptible to this industrial espionage. Uh, More importantly, uh, you ain't supposed to have them, uh, Mr. Ford, uh, especially because he's the only person that can control them. They are, you know, loose cannons. They could actually hurt somebody. And uh, it seems that Bernard kind of suspects that maybe Arnold isn't dead uh, as well.
2: Yeah, which we we
1: briefly touched on
2: this um, when I was doing one of my paranoid rants in the previous episode. The thing to note here is the picture of Arnold that was shown to Bernard, um, which I said there was something on hindsight, there was something quite weird about this. Now, I I openly said at this time, the reason I thought there was something weird about well, in hindsight, something weird about it is because I'd seen episode six. The father um, host of, uh, well, the father host in here is the guy that was in the picture that Ford said was Arnold because Bernard, I said at the time, Bernard, we were seeing the picture through Bernard's perception, and my theory was that Bernard was actually a host version of a host that was a clone version of Arnold, and he wouldn't be able to see himself in the picture because it wouldn't compute. So, it, you know what could compute is the other robot, uh, or the other host or it, Certainly, that could have been how he looked at that time, the father. Um, so we know that that's not Arnold now at this point that wasn't Arnold that was in the picture and in the next episode we start to I don't want to spoil anything but in the next episode we will start to flesh out a couple of things that I said here which kind of gives credence to what I said without necessarily confirming everything but yeah so that is worth noting the farther in here we have already seen in a picture before but that definitely isn't Arnold so Ford has lied, openly lied to Bernard And Bernard doesn't appear to be aware of it, which is weird. You know, that he's being openly played um, by Ford. And Ford really tugs on the heartstrings. I love how every every now and again, when Ford, like, like Bernard's about to push Ford one step further, you know, Ford's kind of like that. Well, you know, what would you do if this was a a host version of your dead son, Bernard? And Bernard's like, ah, well, you've got me there.
1: (laughs) Right. But yeah, it's still ethically weird.
2: Oh God, yeah, and yeah. It's just big flags here. This is your, this is your mentor, your hero, the guy that you look up to, the guy that you aspire to be in your life and in your career, doing
1: something which you wouldn't do, which is highly suspicious and very morally wrong. Yep. And all right, so we are we are rocketing towards the end of this episode now, uh, because a lot of re- revelations kind of land in in short order here.
0: Mm-hmm. So.
1: Uh, Bernard goes back to Delos, and his investigations, uh, continued investigations, uh, showed that there were 82 first-generation hosts online in the park. Mm-hmm. Of those 82, 47 are designed by Arnold. And yes. he believes this is the vulnerability. And uh, Elsie is out checking on things uh, as well in inside the park. And, you know, this is where she finds out, hey, we're all this information from the host is actually transmitting to the Delos uh, satellite and that someone is using this old bicameral system to hack the woodcutter, Mm -hmm. which Bernie uh, or Bernard uh, thinks. (laughs) Sorry, I I have my own mental nomenclature sometimes. So. (laughs) Bernard uh says well that's the stuff that nobody's using anymore mm-hmm. so that somebody is taking one of those old relays that that were used for that system and is transmitting something to the hosts yeah and Elsie says hey you know the creepiest possible place for one of those transmitters to be uh, uh there's an abandoned theater <laughs> And I'm going to go totally by myself and check it out because what could possibly go wrong? Right, Bernard? And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I got to go talk to Teresa anyway.
2: Yeah, because I think at this point, Bernard thinks that maybe Ford's behind us as well because we've already established that Ford is using outdated technology here to do things in the park. He's using all these back, you know, back loopholes poles and things like that that were set up so he does in his head the right thing he's going to go and tell teresa that one ford is doing something which is creepy dodgy and weird but at the same time there appears to be some sort of industrial espionage happening within the park and this could be ford as well or someone for delos
1: and that is what we learned because elsie interrupts uh bernard's meeting uh, with Teresa, where he is telling her what, just as you said, like, "Hey, there's something going on in the park, and I think it might have something to do with Arnold." Mm-hmm. He gets uh, a call from Elsie saying, "Hey, I know who who's uploading this data to this Delos satellite, and it's Teresa." Teresa, bum bum bum. Which, in fairness, Bo.
2: I I'd already pegged as the, the person. I'd already thought it was her. So it wasn't a huge revelation for me. It may have been for other people, but I kind of thought she was behind that. Um, she was the kind of logical character for that. Um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a huge surprise for me. But uh, what happened next was a bit of a surprise.
1: Well, sure. Uh so um, oh, what what I will say about the, this revelation before we we push on to the conclusion is I kind of didn't care at the end of the day because mm-hmm. once it was revealed, you know, hey, it's Teresa who's behind the, this espionage. My reaction to that was, well, it's probably not like she's probably not working for another company, right? It's got to no be, no no, it's got to be something within the company, and then my interest level in it kind of diminished. Because I was like, okay, well, then it's going to be, you know, as we learn in the next episode, it's it's spelled out like, oh, well, this is why she was doing this. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't like, I was like you, like
2: my interest waned when I realized that she wasn't like a Dennis Nedry sort of character selling the tech off to another company to create a new Westworld or something like that. As soon as it was realized that actually this is probably her smuggling out information to Delos anyway. Um then I was like you I was like alright that let's 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 move on. There's plenty of other story to be focusing on now. Um let's go let's go.
1: Yeah so we've got uh we we also learned that um what is being broadcast here uh sure. it, it's it's either Arnold or it's someone pretending to be Arnold which is an important distinction. But most yeah. importantly, it means that the host loops are being affected. Yes. And that the prime directives are affected, meaning that they can now hurt humans. Yeah. Which we kind of see because we immediately then go to Felix and Sylvester and Maeve. And they're showing her like, well, you know, here's sort of your... Uh, if you've ever played a, a, like a, a video game role playing game, it is like <laughs> yeah. their, their stats, their, their, their points and all their stats... And, uh, she, they, you know, point out that they've made her smart, uh, Mm -hmm. because she needs to be, you know, the madam of the Mariposa. And, uh, then she gets to bulk apperception, Mm -hmm. uh, which they say is like, oh, this is kind of your overall intelligence and we don't go above a 14. Yeah. And so she realizes like, oh, you want to make me smart, but not too smart. And mm-hmm. then uh, she says, well, "Well, crank all that shit up." And they're... I had a problem. I had a problem with this scene. <laughs> How so? Um, because what was
2: stopping them just switching it off? Like, what was what was stopping them turning intelligence down to zero? Nothing at all. Yeah, and she yeah. not be able. To, like, you know what I mean? As I understand that they're not the brightest of characters, and I understand that the have been manipulated to the nth degree by her and they're terrified and all the rest, but there is absolutely nothing stopping them just switching that intelligence down to one. You know what I mean? As yeah. Like they're in there, she would not know until it had happened and we realised that the effects are instantaneous, so it wouldn't make a great story, <laughs> so I can see why they didn't do it, but it, it, it just didn't... Uh, yeah, I kind I, of felt... It was clumsy is what I thought.
1: I, I don't disagree with you. Let me give you the the one justification I found in this episode for this behavior and it's kind of why I pointed it out earlier is that Felix is the one actually manning this, the, the, yeah. the device. And yes, I think he's slightly afraid of Maeve, but I think he also is more on her side. I think so as well. Yeah, and so I think for him... It's he's kind of on this ride now with Mave and, and sort of wants to see where it goes. And Sylvester, on the other hand, is just blackmailed into it. They, you know, it's the whole thing about like you've been um letting all the maintenance guys use the the hosts, the all the the sexy hosts uh and mm-hmm. getting paid for it. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, it it's a bummer that it's not a little more concrete. You can find some justification for it, but yeah, it's not great. Still, still, it's awesome that it happened.
2: Oh yeah, as, as like as soon as as soon as she gets the upgrade, um, you like this is why I think Sandy Newton's such an amazing actress in this show. And um, she's played God knows how many iterations of her character with different personalities, and now she is like she's like Neo at this point where she realizes she can actually see the code and stop bullets um there's just like something there's just something behind the eyes that kind of switches uh, the gleam a bit more vibrant and she she is now super smart like super super smart yeah. um we also had um uh ford um back out you know doing his rounds walking about the place and he comes across Minnie Ford, basically him as a child, uh, and asks about the dog. The dog is dead. The dog robot is dead. And Ford's like, yeah, we can bring him back. It's okay. But when he asks him, when he puts him through his uh, personality assessment thing, he finds out that, you know, Minnie Ford was was asked or told to put the dog out of its misery. And when he asks him who told him to do it, he
1: says Arnold told him to do it. Yeah, he says he told me the the dog was a killer. Yeah, he was made that way, and I could help it. And Anthony Hopkins says, "Help it," and <laughs> and the kid says, "If it was dead, it couldn't hurt anything anymore." Yeah, and you and <laughs> You're
2: that... walking here with your cheap shoes. <laughs> um, well, it's just what I keep waiting for him to see. I mean, <laughs> yeah, do that. he will do it on one scene by god one scene by one scene he'll walk up to someone and go and
1: i'll be like yes right just that that one silence easter egg hidden somewhere in the show somewhere in the show Um, but yeah it's uh, like it is now clear that arnold or whoever is pretending to be arnold might be trying to kill ford yeah or at least threatening that of saying like you you know you have become mad you know uh, yeah,
2: or, or the the idea that he's this is the one part where he had ultimate control, like ultimate ultimate control, because yeah. he can control these characters, and it's this this gentle reminder that you know there is something you know you are not omnipotent in this scenario. Um, you know that this 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 voice is whispered to him to do this, and this voice is from from someone who is believed to be thirty four years dead on the show. So uh, yeah. I thought it was a really interesting scene. And I think the thing about it is, as well as Hopkins is, Hopkins is having the time of his life. And I am so happy that Hopkins is in this. Um, but even he, he didn't look perturbed by it. It kind of looked fascinated by it. Like, you know, this is like, this is a game and it's like a game of chess and another piece has been moved, which just makes him need to consider what his next move will be. Um, He's he is another, he's another one who I think I've got so many favourite characters on the show, but Ford, as it goes on, is just amazing. And Hopkins is is has me fully um fully behind him and everything he does, even though I know he's a horrible, horrible character, uh, and we're gonna get any more of that. Um every time he's on the screen, which isn't a lot and nearly as much as I want, um I'm just like, Yeah, this is this is this is bitching.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um Couple of uh last uh bits of business in this episode. Elsie Duncan. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, she,
2: the, she went she went to the area, the creepy area that and she went herself like
1: we acknowledge and she got all that information. She got out safe bowl, didn't she? Uh yeah, well uh in one version. Um, <laughs> in in the one that we were presented on uh the HBO Duncan, um Elsie goes to the Scooby Doo haunted theater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which again, the lighting is pouring, in, and I still say that OSHA needs to look at Westworld with a more <laughs> critical eye towards safety for its uh its workers. Um, yeah. So Elsie is uh checking out this whole uh, relay business, and she hears someone moving, and it's interesting that before she ends up getting all murdered, um, <laughs> which is what happens. Uh, Elsie calls out uh, for Bernard and for Arnold are the two names that she calls out. I'm not saying it is significant. I'm saying in this show, sometimes the things that you don't think matter are going to matter.
2: I think so as well.
1: Yep. So uh, those are the names she calls out and then she uh, dies uh, apparently. And then uh, finally we end the episode as we began it with Maeve. Uh, along with Felix and Sylvester asking to have that bulk apperception, perception, apperception. Uh, we missed
2: one tiny little bit, one tiny little bit. What did we miss? Which, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the bit, which was kind of made me laugh. Um, Lee was still having a bit of a binge. Oh um, yes. Yeah. Lee decides that he's going to do the thing that everyone wants to do that works for a job that they're not satisfied in, but most of us don't do because we still need to paycheck. Um, Lee just shows up, whips his dick out, and just starts pissing. Just pissing everywhere. She's pissing all over that giant map, which I thought was a hologram, but turns out it's real. Um, he just started pissing all over it, and there's piss flying everywhere. And Teresa comes up, and she's like, what the fuck? What are you doing? And he's just like, ah, just pissing everywhere. Um, and he then is introduced to Charlotte, Um, the woman he was flirting with earlier on who is actually the person that we were told about in the previous episode that was being sent from Delos to do a full investigation of the whole thing Um, so yeah, she's technically Teresa's boss Um, and yeah, that must have been
1: embarrassing for him yeah, well, I mean it depends on what he's packing I guess but (laughs) it's either embarrassing or like, well, this happened and what are you doing later (laughs) um uh, so yeah that happens and uh and it, it is a, a very funny scene in a in an episode that is pretty dark um it, it's nice to have a couple of moments of levity and
2: you, have you really have to this show. Sure.
1: yeah uh but we end with uh with Maeve uh all super smart and telling F- Felix and Sylvester that they're about to have a real good time yes and when a a super smart robot host Tells you you're about to have a real good time. Your life is about to suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just be aware of, uh, of that. Some people will tell you different. Some people will say, hey, things are about to get interesting. No, no, no. Your life is about to suck. So uh, that is episode six of uh, Westworld entitled The Adversary and uh we shall push forward sir uh we will ignore speculation for the time being because it would be foolish nay idiotic one might argue to uh speculate on a show that we've both seen so yes. um let's jump right into episode seven this one entitled trump loyal yes uh that is as close as i'm gonna get <laughs> <laughs> That is that's a lot of vowels right there in a row. Um, <laughs> that's how that's how the French talk. Um, so Trump uh is a French term, as <laughs> my poor pronunciation may suggest, for uh, an artistic trick of the eye.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And boy, this episode uh, certainly lives up to that title. So uh, again, directed by Fred Toye. And uh, written here by uh, Jonathan Nolan and Haley Gross, uh, one of the writers from the previous episode, as well as, you know, Jonathan Nolan is Jonathan Nolan. So uh, because this show is brutal and torturous, Duncan, uh, episode seven uh, begins uh, with Bernard uh, having what seems to be a a dream uh, recalling the death of his son uh or his son saying you know hey i'm gonna i'm gonna die aren't i dad he's like no you're gonna fight it kid you're gonna be fine and of course <laughs> what we know about bernard's backstory is that uh it is not fine his son dies and uh that's a real bummer to start the episode with but you know mm-hmm. yep. uh this whole episode is kind of one big series of bummers
2: yeah i i like to i like to consider this episode is the episode where bernard's already shitty life gets shittier <laughs> right or better depending on <laughs> no I'm fat shit here shit here I was trying to
1: think of like at least one positive there is no positive <laughs> so, so bernard is then uh kind of doing a the, the typical dress down of uh one of the hosts um who I had a, one of the guests say i want to cut a piece off you and take it home and you know it still kind of operates within mostly normal parameters <laughs> uh you know and he but he's asking like you know hey what about these images that i'm showing you which are you know pi- pictures of like uh bullet trains and you know people in in industrial suits and big cities and stuff and the host says they don't look like anything to me uh Mm -hmm. which uh you know uh no no speculation here but uh that might come into play later in the episode (laughs) (laughs) so bernard uh uh then gets interrupted uh uh by a dude saying, like, you know, hey, it's uh we're gonna have to uh speed this up and get, get the host back in action. Um and <laughs> little, little did we know what action that was. We'd we'll see it later on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> so we leave uh poor Bernard, uh poor, long suffering Bernard for now. <laughs> And we get to, uh, back to William and, uh, Dolores, um, who we did not see at all in the previous episode. So we're, we're picking up their story where we left it, which is them on a train with used to be Lawrence. Now another guy. So, uh, cause the one thing I, I want to, to point out here, Duncan, is the, as they're riding along, they get into ghost nation territory, uh, which is not a Tom Clancy novel, <laughs> it it is instead a a tribe of, of savage native Americans who greet them with heads on spikes. And also this weird, uh, I would almost call it John Carpenter esque moment where all of a sudden armor, uh, or like, you know, uh, steel plates come down on all the windows. I kind of loved
2: that. I I, kind of loved that scene. They were just like, you know, this is the only way to get where we're going. This is very hostile territory. And then all of a sudden these shutters, large steel shutters come down over the, but leave like a lot of people so they can fire their guns out or see what's happening. But they come down over all the windows and uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're heading into, to, to, to the, uh, the, ghost nation territory. Right.
1: And, uh, I, anyway, I thought the heads on spikes was a nice touch because as we've seen everything in Westworld has to be manufactured mm-hmm. so that there's some guy whose job it was just to make heads for the spikes. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of fun. Uh, so, back to poor Bernard. Poor, <laughs> poor Bernard. I've been saying that a lot in this episode. <laughs> yeah, he's... So, he is... Uh, he's trying to get hold of Elsie. And not only is she not answering her phone, he can't locate her in the park. Mm-hmm. So, uh, something is clearly afoot. And he doesn't however let it, it his hand tip that something might be going wrong when he talks to teresa which he he does immediately after he sees her talking to uh like some new executive or something like that and um he tells teresa like look we're on the same page here i know we broke up but we're all on the same team uh we're not going you know uh, on our side of the fence we're not gonna second guess any anything that comes out of your quality assurance, folks. We're good. This is mm-hmm. a new a a new day has dawned at Delos uh, of cooperation, and uh, Teresa ends up uh, heading out for a meeting, which is going to be with uh, the pretty lady that we saw Lee hitting on at the bar, uh, who is Hale. Yeah, and um, she is. Uh, doing some business with uh, the host from earlier. That was his assignment.
2: <laughs> and the thing is, she walks up to that door, and it is obvious that there's a whole lot of fucking going on on the other side. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Well, it just, it's obvious, like, the, you know, the house is indeed rocking, uh, but she has to come a-knocking. And and, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like she kind of has to, it's her boss, and she opens the door, and I love the fact that she just, like, she just strolls down, not really aware of anything, opens the door with this this host tied up on the bed. <laughs> as if it's nothing. But once again, it's this it comes back to this thing that you've you've mentioned from the very start of the this idea that well they're not you know, they're just having sex with with objects. It's not they're not people, so there isn't and you've got to imagine at this stage there's no shame in that. Um and yeah. all I'm going to say is at this stage, I'm quite glad that Teresa does not like start preaching about doing robots, and I'm not going to say anything else about that until later. Uh, but yeah, like, you know what I mean. Like, there's, she's, but she, the fact that she invites her in, no shame, and then sits down, starts eating some stuff off a plate with her with her top just open, and just stuff hanging out, um, making Teresa uncomfortable. Um, And then they have like a really interesting conversation because like when you said in the previous episode about this beam of information going out um, and Teresa being behind it, this is kind of cleared up here in this scene.
1: Yeah, so during this, uh, this conversation between the two characters, we realize that this industrial espionage has been Teresa following the orders of the board which is to get the code, the intellectual property of Delos out of Westworld, because it is all held in private servers, that the only place where the core information about all the hosts and the programming and all that stuff exists purely within that building. Yeah. And it's
2: it's like the, the partnership that we've talked about right from the very beginning here of like Ford, Ford and, uh, Arnold created the park um, and this company at some point has come in and you would imagine taking over um, but there is still that disconnect about they they obviously have a long game in mind to get this out of the park and uh, all this intellectual property and all, all these codes and all the rest but Ford, as long as Ford's team's are there that's not going to happen specifically as long as Ford is there it's not going to happen. So they've been smuggling essentially their
1: own property out illegally um, out of the park for that purpose. Right. And with the ultimate end game in mind of we're going to get rid of Ford mm-hmm. and who has an unnerving amount of control over this park and, and put it back in into our hands essentially. Yeah, And so they decide what they've got to do is – They've got to create a scenario where they can show that a host is behaving dangerously enough, so that the board will approve of the removal of of Robert Ford.
2: Yeah, they need what, what she calls uh, a blood sacrifice.
1: Uh, Which, correct, you are, and yes, uh, and and it ends with her saying, uh, with with Hale saying, "It's got to be someone thoroughly unexpected." Yeah and cut to the mariposa <laughs> uh where we have all right so this scene has a lot of really interesting stuff going on in it mm-hmm. one we see that mave is fully aware of where she is and what's going on yeah um from the moment that she enters the mariposa uh she turns off the piano player uh, or player piano rather um shuts down that music um when she's talking to Clementine at the bar. she is very consciously uh using words that aren't her loop,
2: yeah, yeah, first, I think at first she realizes i think the first couple of sentences that she's she speaks she realizes they don't feel natural to her. The words don't feel natural to what she says, which are, you know, these are the words within her program, and then starts to take the conversation in a distinctly different manner, which brings out something completely different from Clementine. Because we then get this whole backstory from Clementine. So generally, she tells her about her dreams and being able to wake up from her dreams or whatever, or concentrating her work. Clementine is kind of forced into basically saying, you know, my family are poor. They're, you know, destitute. I am only working here to get money that I can send them back. I'll have to do this a couple, of, couple of years, and I have enough money to get out. Not knowing very well what we know and what Maeve knows, which is that uh, this is a look that she's on has been a look for God knows how long, and yeah, you're stuck in this life basically.
1: Yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting that as, as Clementine is describing, you know, this backstory. Yeah, Maeve is also asking her like do you ever think you're somebody else maybe like she's looking for signs of uh, awareness in in the hosts around her as well mm-hmm. um and that doesn't seem to be the case for Clementine and then everybody freezes uh except for Maeve Maeve has control over herself but she she fake freezes she yeah. uh she is a, a host double agent um <laughs> who <laughs> who uh even though she has control of herself, she you know plays dumb and so the guys in suits come in. there's a moment where she uh believes they may be coming for her and uh grabs a knife from the bar um as if she's gonna go down swinging uh which would have been a great scene <laughs> but uh instead uh they they grab Clementine and uh and haul her off for their their dark business. Um and uh then we go back to the train where Dolores and Will uh are are having another of their, you know, kind of personal conversations about, you know, life and the meaning of life and decisions and all that stuff. And in this moment we have um William kind of saying that he he really is becoming Uh, Someone else in Westworld, you know, his criticism all along had been that Westworld brings out the worst in people. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, what it does is it just shows you who you really are and that he's got, you know, his gal back home. And, uh, but it's, it's only in Westworld that he's actually felt truly like himself. And, uh, He tells her like, hey, I can't like I'm going to help you find the maze, but I can't stay here. You know, I got to I got to go back home. And Dolores uh, is a bit upset by this. You know, she she seems to be enamored of Will as well. Mm -hmm. And then William uh, goes to her and in a real like quiet man kind of moment is like, you know, I am. uh, He gives her a speech about like, you know. I, I'm finally alive with you and that kind of thing. It's like real sweeping and romantic. And mm-hmm. then I don't want to uh, alarm uh, folks with kids in the room, but things get sexy, Duncan. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as William is like, you know, you, you complete me. Uh yeah. Then Dolores. Uh, Dolores as, as a host, I guess, would be down anyway. Uh, but mm-hmm. it really seems like you know, she likes him, he likes her. It's a nice yeah. moment. I do, yeah, it
2: doesn't, it doesn't feel like part, it doesn't feel like a robot fulfilling her duty in the in the park, actually. Feels like, yeah, once again, I, Dolores' scenes, whilst we're getting less of them, now um, in, in the last couple of episodes we seem to be pulling back a bit from that story, I would imagine, only to ramp up in the, the final two episodes, which we're not that far away from now, but we're we're going through I'm still like the fact that William has this kind of monologue where he talks about how the how he's different in the park or the park is changing him and making him into what he wants to be within the park. Once again I still think kinda of puts more kind of credence on the fact that he is you know, these scenes are set before and he is the man in black. Um but it makes you wonder if they're on a mission just now to find the maze and this is in the past, what happens that stops him?
1: yeah, um, yeah why I, is it
2: taking a man in the black so long to get back to the park to do it
1: right and yeah all good questions i don't have any answers to any of those duncan i hope you mm-hmm. weren't expecting any no 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 i was just thinking at label uh yeah it's the only way i do it anymore um <laughs> but yeah it, i mean it raises a lot of interesting questions assuming that this two timeline theory is real because we that's not confirmed. Like, the big twist no. of this season could be that it's all happening concurrently. You and know? that,
2: once again, would be something... I would not surprise me if that is the twist. You know, that is the like, Jonathan Nolan's twist here because the... Nolan... I, I, he's such a... It's, like, I always, I always think that... To me, I always go back and think about something like The Prestige. And The Prestige was a movie where I thought for, you know, like a good two thirds of that movie I thought I knew what was happening. Um and the reveal floored me in that movie. Like absolutely floored me. Um or sorry, the two reveals in that, you know, at the end. Um completely floored me. And it wasn't where I thought Because the most obvious answer in that movie is the answer they give you. Um and the convoluted answer is the fake ending, so to speak. So the way that Jackman ultimately goes about pulling the trick off is the way that you would think the story would end you know, written by a Nolan but the way it's actually discovered how um, Christian Bale is pulling the trick off is the most obvious plausible way it would be done Um, so the movie almost has you trying to seek out a more complicated answer than is what is required. And that's the journey of the journey of the audience is pretty much mirrored in the journey of Hugh Jackman's character. And it would not surprise me knowing what inceptions like Dreams Within Dreams and all the rest eh, and Interstellar and all the stuff that the Nolans have done in the past. It would not surprise me if at the end of this season it's you know we've been putting all these huge theories into this only to be revealed that is far more straightforward. Um which it would be equally satisfying to me. I I like if the if there is no two timelines, but it you know the story's handled in such a way that it's all done in one one timeline, but it's done well in that one timeline, I will be just as happy as I would be going, ha see that theory I jumped on by episode five. It's true. Um so yeah, I, I'm down either way, but certainly the more time we spend with William, the more I could see William being a younger iteration of the man in black.
1: I, I tend to agree. I, mm-hmm. I think that there is, uh, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to support this theory. And also yeah. there's something that also narratively feels satisfying about it. So, Agreed. Uh, yeah. so I like it, um, but let's get to maybe the most uncomfortable scene. Of <laughs> this episode <laughs> which is
2: I don't know if it was
1: <laughs> it's almost nice <laughs> it's almost martyrs-esque um because what happens is that Hale and Teresa and you know some other uh, seeming executives for Delos have called a meeting with uh, Bernard and uh with Ford and they have uh Clementine in they're both in essentially glass cubes And all the Delos folks are in one and Clementine is in another and Mm -hmm. in walks uh, a gentleman in a suit and uh, they say uh, the Delos folks say, Hey, uh, we're going to do a demonstration because we think we know what's going on here and how it could be potentially dangerous. So uh, we, first we have to do this and uh, the gentleman who has come into the cube with Clementine and she goes up to him and, and does her normal, you know, uh, you must be new in town. You barely got rind on you, that kind of thing. And he then beats the ever-living shit out of her. Uh, yeah,
2: so her her program has been set back one stage. So yes. basically
1: before the new, um,
2: the new program that was sent out, which was the program that was set out at the first episode. The reverie
1: stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So that this this is and of course she is getting the shit kicked out her, and she's pleading at the people through the glass, the Dellas staff, and to Ford and Bernard specifically to help her. And no one does a thing because the, you know, she's a robot.
1: Right. Um, we we're testing but, the product. It's not yeah. beating a real person. But as a viewer it's uncomfortable as fuck it, it it it's a difficult scene to watch because you're seeing a woman get the the living hell beat out of her and beg for help and yeah. and i will say when that scene first begins i i think on both bernard and ford's face there's a, a moment where they register real shock at, at yeah. you know the host being beat up like this so but so they beat the shit out of her and and the host uh or, or the the guy in the room is about to to choke her to death and uh, they call it, They hit the pause button on this, and it turns out that the guy in the room is also a host, uh, which maybe you didn't suspect at first. Maybe foreshadowing. Yep. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know much about literary <laughs> things, Duncan. But that seems important. And mm. uh, this whole episode is just one big tease, to... It really here's, is. It really fucking the is. Thing. <laughs> uh, so what they do is they wipe clementine's memory of of that interaction and say okay we're going to start again and so now she goes through the motions again but it is a decidedly different delivery of, of yeah. the same lines like she seems like she's been affected by even though she has theoretically been wiped mm. she is retaining some memory of this which is all staged of course but it's also uh, yeah, but real I, I, as- it's obvious. It's, it's staged, but it's
2: the thing about it is is like from the reactions of both. Well, from the reaction of Bernard at first, like Bernard instantly knows that the fix is in. He knows, you know, st- like you've tampered with this, and he basically says so later on. But you know, they they know that there's something dodgy. I think Hopkins is brilliant in this. Who doesn't say a fucking word, and he just stands with that kind of. Blank stare throughout this whole scene. Like, after you, you get, he was a little bit shocked when it first happens, but when she, like, basically becomes Deathbot, uh, the Deathbot 5000, right. and gives you what you kind of like, what we were saying earlier on about, you know, where me and Bo both want to see this is like robots just killing people. Um, she does it in the, like, she picks apart this guy, you know, chop to the throat, snap of the arm face into the wall you know just like breaks him down systematically breaks him down and um the head of security goes in and tries to get her to stand down but she is not and i did air quotes when i say stand down um and she won't listen to she won't deactivate so he puts a bullet in her um and the decision is made that she's going to be decommissioned and this is the opportunity for the blood sacrifice so they're like that I can't believe it. You let this happen, Bernard, unless you know of someone else who could have let this happen, you know, because maybe Ford's made a mistake, but Bernard, you should have picked up unless you were told not to or you were covering for someone. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, now's your time. Um, And Bernard, to a fault, does not say anything because I think he genuinely feels that Ford is going to say, you come in here with your cheap shit. No, he's, like, right. he's going to say, you come in here with was... your
1: cheap programming.
2: <laughs> yeah. You're like, he's going to either call them out on the bullshit, obvious bullshit, or he's going to come to his defense and say, you know, it was a mistake. Cause earlier on, like in the first episode, Ford says that we're all human. We're, you know, going to make mistakes. And maybe I was hasty when I put this code out, although I now really don't think he was. And uh, I think this has all been deliberate by him. Um, but basically, like Ford doesn't come to his aid at all. He just stands there with that blank face. And everyone's expecting him to say like we have both Teresa and um, Hale kind of going, just say the name, just say Ford. Say Ford and he's gone. Um, and he doesn't do it. And he is fired. That's right. And that is clearly the worst thing that will happen to Bernard in this episode. In the last two episodes, not only has he had to relive his son's death, be dumped by the woman he loves, Elsie going
1: missing, yeah,
2: (laughs) Elsie going missing, but the worst thing that will happen to him in this episode is being fired from the job he loves. And I feel sorry for him but at least he at least he's at least he's still alive boy he's got his health he's alive he's got his dignity even i would argue
1: i would say the same he went out knowing that he covered for his boss and he did the right thing his boss his mentor uh, the man that he respects and admires and and perhaps is disappointed in him for not coming to his defense but yes i mean shattered personally of course because yeah he's he's gonna have to abandon his life's work but uh, it's but, a samurai thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, he basically falls on his sword it to is protect Sepuku. his master. Yes, uh, and I
2: say master because he's his boss, not for any other reason that we may discuss ab- later on.
1: Absolutely, and <laughs> pay no attention to the sly smile on Anthony Hopkins' face at the end of this scene. He's fucking amazing at this show yeah, so, so good. it is just him calculating. It, it's yeah. just like, okay, I like I know the reality of things. So mm-hmm. I still have the upper hand, but now I see what they're doing. Like I, they, they've, they've shown me their, their hand now. Yeah. So I now know who's coming after me and and how they're going to do it. And yeah. which puts him in a tremendous position of power in this episode. Yeah. Um, because he, he still, he still has surprises uh, in him. It turns out. Uh, it's like
2: it's like the, it's like when it was like when the 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 rogue group of Nazis tried to assassinate Hitler and then failed. You only get one shot at that. <laughs> you only get one shot at that. Because see, after that, he's not going to really make himself as open. He's going to travel with more security and things will be checked. So it's kind of like that. You only get one shot, I think. And it's funny. We, we You find it later on that this isn't this is the current one shot. That they have, you know, like against them. But it turns out Dallas has been trying to take down Ford for a while. And this is maybe the most blatant they have tried to do it thus far. Um, and I, what I love, just like you say, Hopkins plays the character so well in that there is always that there's this kind of blank look on his face, but there is always this idea that the cogs behind the eyes are just going at calculate now every like once again like a really good chess player what are all these moves what's the next step um and as such he's quite happy to watch bernard fall on his sword
1: yes uh, you you might almost suggest that it's it's what he was made to do uh <laughs> yeah the key word being there
2: to do bo in that sense let's yes. put
1: emphasis on to do and not on anything else right ignore ignore any other suggestion uh poor bernard uh <laughs> Just fired
2: worst thing that could have happened to him worst thing that happened.
1: that's the job he loved Yeah. thank goodness uh we don't see him again in this episode or do we um but first first we see uh <laughs> and man a- again if you if you didn't just savor it yeah. go to the end of this scene and just pause on anthony hopkins expression there it's my just, new screensaver. Yeah, just let it wash over you <laughs> as you realize, like, that is the look of a man who is good and rightly about to fuck someone hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is like the best bit of casting this year. It's my favorite piece of casting this year is seeing him in this show. I, Cuz I didn't know I didn't know what they were going to do with the character in the first couple of episodes like we said before I kind of felt sorry for him and
1: now I just think he's like the greatest criminal mastermind of all time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I I'll tell you the the other candidate I would raise for that uh best casting uh award would be Ed Harris. So, Ed Harris.
2: Yeah, but I think Ed Harris is Although you could argue now that Anthony Hopkins is totally playing into a role which is almost synonymous with his style of acting. Um, Ed Harris has played some bad villains before, and from the moment we meet Ed Harris, he's a villain. So I, I think it's great casting, and I love him as it, but like I say, history of violence changed my entire perception of Ed Harris forever. I'm like, he's one of the de facto ultimate on-screen villains because he's so evil and twisted and malicious in that movie um, that I just, it's funny, it wipes away everything that I've seen before and since, that's how I think of Ed Harris. Um, and just like when you think of it, Hopkins, it's difficult not to think of Hannibal Lecter. You, you, that in, inclination will always be drawn to an iconic performance, but there's, there's something in Hopkins, even in the previous episode where you he, like, he saw his family, I kind of felt sorry for him. I kind of felt sorry for him. Yeah. And then, but by the end of this episode, I'm just like that. You are just like, you're just operating on a completely different level of evil. <laughs> you know? The League of Evil is one
1: man. <laughs> All right. I'm going to. Here's a, a bit. But of, is he the body? Is he the this that's is, this That's is. exactly what I was going to say. I think he's going to be the surprise hero of this show.
0: Yeah, because if the, he's well, William.
1: I, I think oh. if he is William and his goal is to reach the maze, possibly to fulfill the promise he made to Dolores of "I am going to get you to the this place, the this consciousness or or whatever," then if he is at odds with Anthony Hopkins in in this show, which he clearly is, how is he not the hero?
2: But we're working on the assumption that Anthony Hopkins is a villain. That, that's what I think about is what is great about this show is who are the... Can you clearly point to a hero in this show? N- no. Maeve, I mean,
1: Will, William Maeve comes Maeve. close. Maeve Dolores.
2: The um... So, so all, the, all the characters at the moment that we're... Like, obviously, Maeve, we are spending a bit of time with. But the big players in this show? Like, the... the you you Westworld is either... You know, like Delos are the good guys, which I don't think they are. Um, or Ford is the moral compass of, the, of, of Westworld, and even that I kind of feel uncomfortable in saying. And it's interesting because if the Man in Black is the good guy, and if finding the maze is such a a pivotal thing you know, to, to to that character are such a dangerous thing against Ford. Why is Ford not actively doing more to stop it? You know, we've, we've established that he's, he's like, uh, probably the greatest mind in this show. He's, like, he's Mave level intelligence without getting the upgrade. He's just there already. He's the master at the game, and he is, you know, he has... He seemed more... He seemed more interested from a i don't know from a curiosity point of view about what would happen if the man in black made the center of the maze than perceiving it as a threat even though there was a kind of veiled threat in there he just isn't paying much attention to it which i don't think fits in with the character so how important is it you know what i mean how important is the maze i I don't that's what i love about this show oh yeah maybe
1: the maze is a real red herring that that's not the thing of the show yep Maybe, okay. Maybe that's maybe 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 it's a distraction
2: tactic, you know. Maybe this is the Nolan thing, like pl- coming into play. Maybe this is the prestige thing coming into play. Maybe this is the concentrate on the thing that we want you to concentrate on. The thing that that seems really interesting and really perplexing. You know, this puzzle, this maze. Concentrate on that. And then they pull the ultimate magician trick and the real story is everything that's happening elsewhere. I I don't know. Hmm. I, I don't... It's really interesting. If it's revealed that the head of Delos is the man in black, who it might be... He might be the main guy. We've already said that. If William is the, one of the heir-apparents to this business, owns a valuable stake in the company, and we've already seen... Man in Black and Ford sit down and have an interesting sort of rivalry, reminiscent of what Ford later on says in this episode, is kind of the relationship he has with Delos, this kind of long-standing thing of one-upmanship. Then maybe that this maze, maybe this pursuit of the maze in the context of of the man in black is purely a distractionary tactic to get the man in black away from what it is that Ford's doing elsewhere, which is this creation of of this whole new thing within the park. So many, this show is fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, like, it finished today and me and my wife went out for lunch and she's like so many episodes behind and I was telling her she had to catch up. And I said, I feel no shame in comfortably proclaiming this quite possibly my favourite show this year and I will go one step further to say that I actually think, in my opinion, is besting something like a Game of Thrones for for just having seven episodes thus far. The story is just so compelling and the theories that has got me the rabbit holes you can go down onto this show and the fact that we don't have George R.R. R. Martin books there that we can say, oh, well, this might happen because it's been written in this book. The fact that we are purely working on speculation and Reddit right now, that's how my life, my, my life just now is. Caffeine, Red Bull and Reddit, right? And Westworld. And that's no like way to Alex, live, sir. <laughs> I feel like Alex Jones is in my brain pulling the switches. I mean, like, you know, I'm a man, bull I, I eat, I eat. What's Westworld? I drink caffeine. You know what I mean? It's, it's the, it's, there's so many possibilities. And I don't think we're going to get half the answers we need before the end of this season. And no. part of me is, is, is going to be like, is going to weep
1: gently in a pillow when it finishes. I I think by the end of the season, we know who the man in black is. I think we I get that so. confirmation. Yeah, Um,
2: I think we also find out what it is, the reveal will be what it is that Ford is building.
1: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure.
2: And I think that might be all we get.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. I I don't know that you see Arnold, or maybe you tease Arnold in the last shot or something like that. Uh, I don't know. All right, well, it's not (laughs) speculation time, Duncan, shut up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, because we have to get to the the most awesomest thing that happens uh, in the episode. Uh, If you're a puerile child like myself, there are are (laughs) things that make you happy, Duncan. And one of them I did not know made me happy, but very much does, is exploding horses. And let me explain. So (laughs) William and Dolores and not Lawrence are uh, on the train and the Confederados catch up with them. And have uh, a Gatling gun of their own. And you know how I love Gatling guns. We've already established oh. that.
2: Oh, yeah. That's a great second part.
1: Yeah. So I'm already on board for whatever's going on in this scene. And they, they shoot up the train. And the train, you know, has to come to a stop because they block the tracks. And then uh, one of the, like, cattle car doors opens up. And out jumps a horse with, with someone uh, atop the horse uh, and a white flag. Yeah. And... Uh, One of the confederados says cowards, Uh, which is pretty rocking because what happens next is they go out to meet uh, the, the uh, selection from the, uh, the the party on the train to go out and surrender uh, appropriately, except it is the corpse of uh, the dude that they have now filled with nitroglycerin, which you can tell because it's leaking from his ears and eyes. (laughs) Which is also fantastic. Mm. And then Not Lawrence uh, takes a shot at uh, the nitro-filled body, which explodes, which somehow, Duncan, and I'm not sure how or why, causes the horse to explode. I can't account for it. I don't think the horse was also filled with nitroglycerin. That (laughs) seems unlikely. But that horse goes up like a Roman candle.
0: Yeah, it's
2: a pretty the
1: scene. Uh, the corpse does, and I've watched this a couple of times because, like I said, I got a little bit of a problem with this. And uh, yeah, it it the the corpse explodes mm-hmm. once it's shot, and there's a beat, and then the horse explodes as if the the explosion of the body set off the horse. And I again, not sure how that works. I don't think horses are that flammable. Westerold horses may be different but it seems like maybe
2: yeah maybe they're built differently maybe they're not built like the humans are
1: built to be like humans maybe the animals in the park are built differently yeah but considering the safety measures but then again we've talked about all their their problems with lighting uh in their facilities maybe (laughs) well there's a huge issue to do with explosives
2: in general because they mentioned in an earlier episode that anything pyro-based um needs clearance by delos
1: right and that's kind of why i'm thinking uh when they you know that came through delos hq when they're <laughs> like hey we've got a a, a nitro filled body and w- the technician who's in charge of flipping the switch to allow that to happen was like you know what fuck it let's do the horse too like we're <laughs> send them both up <laughs> Because I don't have another good explanation for it. Um, yeah, it's,
0: it's
2: pretty <laughs> insane, but it, it allows us to have the, it allows us to once again get something that we don't really think about in this show, being set like part of it being set in the old west. Um, but we get this. It doesn't take out all the confederados. The confederados, the the chase after, they give chase after. They slowly start picking off the team one by one of the people that remain in and then the ghost nation warriors arrive. And then you just remember that once again, we're in the old West and yeah, cowboys and Indians and they play these scenes really well because you forget that they could like have these Indians just arrive and do what they do, which is just begin to tear through Confederazo- uh, Confederados and start scalping them. Um, and it's cool. And they're freaky. They're all painting in white with the, you know, like, war paint on and stuff and and it allows the opportunity for um not lawrence uh and uh, william and dolores to kind of flee off and they arrive at this kind of cleaning at this canyon and this is the canyon that dolores has seen in her dreams and incidentally earlier on in this episode was painting on a, a like a large canvas or it was actually like a sheet, I think she was doing um, this design on, but it's the same canyon from her dreams. Uh, and they decide that they're going to stay there and explore it and um, say adieu uh, to Lawrence, who goes on his way. But Lawrence gives them some warnings before he leaves. And the first thing he tells them is that is uncharted territory um, that they're going to go into. And I love the fact that he says nothing's ever come back from there but dust. Um which I think is a great line. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's yeah. so, so final. Um, but they, they part ways. So we're now in a position where I don't know if we will follow the rest of Not Lawrence's story. I doubt it. I think that's now probably n- no longer in scope, um, especially with my theory of two timelines. I think that's that kind of story finish now. Um, but certainly we're now in this position where Dolores and William – are still en route to find the center of the maze. And this might be something to do with this canyon that they're at. Um, potentially. He says.
1: Yeah. Great, it, great scene though. It, it is a good scene. And it, it does have that all, very Western vibe. Like the scenes with William and Dolores feel like they're happening in kind of a Western movie with yeah. the these hints of sci-fi, but it's mostly Western. And then we cut from that into Delos where Maeve is back on the table. (laughs) (laughs) So quickly. uh, And I love how Felix is
2: basically when she kind of makes the signal to Felix that she is very much awake and he gets rid of the other woman. He's just like, you're going to need to stop getting yourself killed. There's going to be questions asked of why you're spending so much time in here. You need to kind of stop doing it.
1: Yeah. And, and she, uh, answers, uh, don't fuck with me, Felix. I'm here for <laughs> Clementine. Yep. And, uh, so they go, you know, he escorts her because it happens like you see technicians escorting hosts through the halls and, uh, he escorts her, um, through, uh, the, the same, uh, industrial hallways where all the, the hosts are being tended to just in time to see someone, uh, at Sylvester, as it turns out deliver kind of clementine's death blow that she's going to be decommissioned because of this uh fake uh response that she had to violence and it's
2: a it's a weird thing because basically what they said earlier on um with, with the you know the fake setup of look how dangerous this code is um was that there was a chance that it would have to quote unquote lobotomize um the hosts that have received this upgrade because not all hosts received upgrades and um, they would have to lobotomize them, And that's essentially what we see happening here is like there's horrible kind of engineer lobotomy,
1: which is basically drill being shoved up your nose and turned on. Um, yeah. And she like Maeve sees all of this go down and, uh, <laughs> and she
2: sees Sylvester do it as well, which
1: didn't help. Y- right. <laughs> it's She's already got a uh, one might say contentious relationship with Sylvester. Uh, hard to <laughs> imagine. Hard to imagine that's going to get any better. Um, So Teresa's there, though, and when she comes out,
2: she is approached by Bernard. Yes. Who has been having the shittiest day ever, but he's going to do the right thing before he goes. At least that's what we think he's going to do. And basically he says, listen, I know that you pulled a fast one. It was obvious to me that you pulled a fast one. I'm fairly sure Ford knows because he is smarter than I am. You set things up in a way that, you know, you, you got people to help you. hack the code and on, right you've done all this stuff. But some of your concerns are valid concerns. Let me tell you about a little thing that's happening with Ford right now. He has some robots which are not registered, that are working on a different code and we can't control them. And in fact, you know what's better? Let me show you where it is. Let's travel to Sector 17 uh, and I'll, I'll show you something there. So they go in this lift. Um, or elevator uh, for the Americans Um, we know what they are yeah Ben Lorry and um, (laughs) they they travel (laughs) every time Uh, they travel to sector 17 um, and they come out and there's the house the the house that has the Ford family Um, and there's a couple of interesting things in this scene that preempt the reveal Right. So basically,
1: uh, before oh. before we jump to that, because we we go from uh, like Teresa and Bernard heading out, like they're gonna go see it, and then we we kind of say "Sayonara" to Maeve uh, for the episode. Yes, and, and it it's worth mentioning this scene because it it has it's uh, amazing. <laughs> it has uh, the most badass line that Thandi Newton has had in this show thus far, and that's saying something. Hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. But, uh, there, so she has just seen her, you know, friends, uh, her coffee machine friends, uh, brain scrambled and Maeve says like, you're, you you 2 assholes are going to help me get out of here. So that doesn't happen to me. And there, and of course they protest. And so again, here's the quote, because it was, it was too good not to have it direct. Uh, she says at first I thought you and the others were gods. And then I realized you're just men and I know men. You think I'm scared to death? I've done it a million times, and I'm fucking great at it. How many times have you died? Because if you don't help me, I'll kill you.
2: It's pretty bitching. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> it's, it's, hard, it's hard not to want to high-five someone right after hearing that.
1: Yeah. The the whole, like, you think I'm scared of death? I've done it a million times. Yeah, no, oh fucking good at it. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, you are. <laughs> Yeah. you
2: die like 40 times already on this show
1: which, are, uh, which I think and, and the reason I, I point that scene out before we get into you know the stuff that everyone's really talking about with this episode is that I think this leans into the story of the maze very heavily especially the repetition of someone dying over and over and over again again yeah. could be totally coincidental but also the idea of her escaping that yeah. maybe she's the one that does get out of this death loop and, mm-hmm. and so Again, my vote as Mave being whoever it is at the center of the maze and whatever the maze is, I I think there is a reasonable argument to be made for that.
0: I think...
2: I don't know why. I think there's going to be some sort of fail-safe that will not allow robots to leave the park. You know, leave the, the, the building. Because why wouldn't you have that? That's the obvious thing. Yeah, you, know, you know what I mean. Like, right? Let's just say for like, if you're doing contingency plans, your last contingency is some sort of mini explosive device inside the brain that goes off when they, if they manage to get out, just on the off chance that one day they get out. Or maybe the reveal, reveal, which I know you would love though, because you've been saying it all along, is maybe she escapes and finds that she's actually in space.
1: Which right, maybe
0: maybe if i can I if know.
1: i can get you to come around to a maybe on the spaceship theory i feel like i win the the show <laughs> this is not duncan and Bull. come correct this is duncan Bull. go to westworld Bull.
2: i still feel like i would win if, <laughs> if i
1: called spaceship then i still get a goddamn
2: trophy you also called spaceship on a previous show as well so not allowed can i just keep I calling can't. spaceship can't Until I'm calling. eventually right.
1: By the way, uh not like twin,
2: traveling shotgun. You can't just keep something like spaceship. Twin Peaks,
1: by the way, totally on a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> calling it now from the cheap seats, Duncan, calling it way back there. Uh, uh, I've
2: got like, basically there's something in what Sylvester says to her, which felt kind of more important than just a throwaway statement that everything about her, the way she's designed, the skin that she has is designed to stay here. Yeah, it's exact words, which makes me maybe they're not telling her. I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying I disagree that she is the foretold prophecy person um, of of the of the maze. But once again, I don't know how much credence I would put into what Terry, a program character within, you know, Westworld, is saying about anything to be taken literal. So I'm not not sure. I'm not sure, but certainly, yeah, like you're right. She has that bitching line. We now know that we have what three episodes left, and Maeve wants out, and she has two people that have not a spine between either one of them to stop her, Um, and she is not scared of death, and they clearly are. Um, And we 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 move back to this. We move back to the kind of the Ford family home. Yeah, Um, let's, let's get into it. Right, so there's a couple of things here that kind of, that on some level give away the reveal, uh, which we'll get into. But they go into the house and there's no robots there, right? There's no robots anywhere. All the the Ford family has vanished. Uh, Teresa says something along the lines of, what about this door, which Bernard can't
1: see? Yeah, at all. What door? Right. He says. Yeah. yeah.
2: So what? What door? And really, that's clearly there's clearly I even I can see the door and the lights out, uh, but he he can't see he can't see this at all. And if you're me, you're like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. <laughs> exactly where this is gone, because I said so last week. Um, but they go through they go downstairs and this looks like. It's very similar to the room that we've seen in a lot of the flashbacks. Yep. Yep. Right. So you see what I'm saying? Off the grid. This looks like the room. The stairs and the
1: railing in particular seems like something we've seen in the background of a lot of those scenes. Yeah. The ones specifically where Dolores is being spoken to um, out with the
2: park looks just like this. Yep. Um, And there is what appears to be a machine constructing a new host.
1: Yeah, it's an Uh, older machine, so they say, oh, this will actually take a couple of days.
2: Yeah, but it's newer compared to the rest of the room, because the room itself resembles something from way back in the day. Um, and they're looking around, and Teresa finds the design blueprints or schematics for Dolores, which she lifts up, and she's like, "Mm, hmm, this is quite interesting. Um, which I have a theory for, but we'll get we'll come back to it. Um so yeah, they're like, Oh right, look at this, you see this? Yeah, well this is quite interesting. Um and then while Ford is still looking around, she's like, Oh my god, um, have you seen this? And Bernard, who's having who's trying to kick the worst day in the existence of man, um, turns around. And he's like, Oh what? And she hands him the bit of paper and it's clearly a blueprint for Bernard. <laughs> Um, and he stares at it and he says that he well, what, can't see anything and that's when you come in here with your cheap shit no, mm-hmm. he, he he, he, like Hannibal Lecter appears minus the mask um,
1: they cannot uh, see the things that will hurt them
2: yeah pretty much he just appears and you know he, he for all intents and purposes confirms one of part of the theory that I had the part of the theory I had was that I suspected that Bernard was our host and he couldn't see himself in the picture, which I think we will eventually see this picture again and you will realise that Bernard's in the middle. And I still am convinced that Bernard is actually Arnold. Um, maybe not in programme, but I think he is the likeness of Arnold. Because once again, we don't know what Arnold looks like. It's never been mentioned yet. And I thought at the time why would he be a, a lesser known or unknown actor? It would be someone that we know um, acting-wise. So this is revealed. Um, and of course, like Teresa not seeing the writing on the wall, uses this as a power play again. She basically tries to reenact the conversation she had with Lee, where Lee's like, you know, I know there's something going on here. Maybe I can, I can assist you. And she's like, well, what do you actually know? Nothing. So how the fuck can you help me? Fuck off. Right. That essentially happens again here. She's like, oh, you are so done for. You're building robots off the park. You're doing all this. This, this is going to be taken off you. You're going to lose everything. You're, you know, It's all going to be taken. This is this is you. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is you finished. You are finished. And like you said, like Hopkins is not really reacting out with that cheeky, kind of wry, slightly upturned one half of his face which is like you know, I know something you don't know um, and he comes back and says you know this happens all the time you are just one of and we've already heard this that Teresa's predecessors had not been successful but we just assumed it was at run in the park it might now appear that Teresa's predecessors were actually kind of sent there to get rid of Ford Um ultimately remove control from Ford Um and he's like, you, you're not the first person to ou- try to oust me from this park. You know what I mean? There have been people before. Um, and he almost commends her slightly. Uh, but then he uses the same words that Hale mentioned earlier on. He says that what what's demanded now is a blood sacrifice. And if you're me, you're like... Well, they, they, she tries to protest it she's like well no your creations aren't working because bernard brought me here ha! <laughs> he showed me your secret house and he's like that's ah, because i asked him to
0: right why it's just
2: like ah. <laughs> yeah i didn't see that one coming and of course if you're me you're like i totally saw that coming you fucked up teresa you fucked up um and of course she's kind of sickened by the whole she's been sleeping with a robot kind of thing um, and she kind of says well you know did you program is that how you did it did you program him to get close to me and he's like well no you initiated that he didn't initiate that you did that and you you're ma- you've made all these choices you made all these decisions to bring you here so ultimately the faults in your head blood sacrifice um, blood sacrifice and um, well and so-
1: bernard in this scene is also a little taken aback that he's a host
2: and, it's, it's, oh it's, it's the fact fi- like this is the bit where i just was like can someone give this man a break please because he's like that ah, yeah. no i had a I, I had a wife i had a child i remember my child dying so he's having like this identity crisis yeah uh, he has this background the background there's background, background noise to these two people talking it's horrible yeah
1: it, it like it they're having their conversation and he is just having this series of real realizations and the one that got me was the burial Like he remembers the funeral of his son, and is gripping with the notion that oh, it's just a crazy make em up someone had.
2: This is this is Ford. Ford not only gave him the memory of he didn't have to give him. We've realized already with Teddy. He said like Teddy's. He gave Teddy more backstory to fill in this like loop that Teddy had about. Well, you know, if I just finish this unfinished business of which he doesn't know anything about it. Ford didn't have to give the memory of his child being buried. He just had to give him the memory of his child dying. You know what I mean? He didn't even have to give him that. (laughs) Maybe make him
1: more human, he did. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he could have been a beloved uncle of someone and just been happy with that, you know? Yeah, Ford is this meticulous attention
2: to detail from this guy. And he basically says it, you know, that he needs to... It's like the peacock. The peacock speech is amazing. Um he describes basically peacock as like when you think about it is this majestic, beautiful creature that captivates your attention, it captivates, you know, we, we think of it this way, it's a basically a flightless bird that eats bugs out in the mud. What's what's glamorous, what's pretty, what's attractive of that, but all you can focus on is the, the peacock feathers, which is what Bernard does here. He's understood that that all you need to do to make our host seem believable is to give them traits identity things memories so it's that yeah tragedy which make them feel human which is genius but at the same time horrifying like actually horrifying like he, he's he's fabricated all this all this journey that we've been through with Bernard all the misery that we've been through with him we've been made to feel
1: sympathy for a robot yeah well and it's been a theme of this show uh, yeah. that that the thing that makes the host most lifelike is their suffering yeah and and what does that say about humanity you know well this
2: is it, it it's, it's just it's an incredible it's just an, actually an incredible scene before we even go into the bit that i want to talk about at this point i was just like this show fucking this show is just amazing and i love it and hopkins is fantastic and you know the bernard's great and and like I said before, the actress that plays uh, Teresa, who has a name that neither one of us can pronounce easily, uh, so we'll just call her Teresa. Is great. Um, I think you know t- she was she was great in what we've seen her in before, and she is brilliant in this. Um, it's kind of sad that we're not going to be seeing her again, or maybe we will actually. Uh, I'm going to get onto that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so basically, what happens is that we you know we've been told about this blood sacrifice. And um, Teresa's still kind of trying to make some idle threats. And, you know, Ford's not having any of it. And basically he asks uh, Bernard to take care of her. And then we see Bernard very casually take off his glasses, remove his tie. And she's, you see at this point, Teresa, you can the, you, the writing's on the wall. She knows exactly what's going to happen. And she's terrified. She's actually terrified because the hosts aren't supposed to be able to hurt anyone. And in a scary symmetry to earlier on in this episode, where we saw what we thought was a human beat up a robot and then to be told, no, it's actually a robot beating up a robot and all the rest. He basically plays out exactly the same scene, but in a CD real way, he has Bernard kill her and Bernard does it by smashing her head off a fucking wall. (laughs) <laughs> like and we don't get to see it it blurs we don't need to see it this is the beauty of this show and this marks a really important part of this show we have now officially seen our first human death at the hands of a robot in this show and it's not an error that caused it, it's not you know, that this was Ford commanded Bernard to do it and he did it um, and he did it coldly and Camley, and when he finished he put his glasses back on fixed his tie and Ford said to him right we need to get ready you know you need to straighten yourself up we have a lot of work to do what the fuck does that mean Bo <laughs> what does that mean uh, And uh, so we can jump into a couple of things that I want to say before we get your answer but they're building a robot
1: yes right an Adrian yes. Yes. Yeah, is
2: is this robot like we know that he can we know they can clone people is this robot going to be Hopkins cloning a Teresa replacement to get an inside informant into the upper echelons of
1: Delos? I think it probably is. Don't know. Did you yeah. get the same vibe? I, I yeah. Well, because in, in the the scene, it, the, yeah, I I I do think that it, it begs the question though. Is this the first time he's ever going to do that? Because if, if you start to think, oh, there could be these, you know other host moles within the company yeah that he's created like As, I, feel, I feel like that has to be answered to some degree because at a certain point then you do fall down that hole of well who's a host and who's not are they all that's hosts and
2: that of thing? In, this is where we yeah. came in right at episode one yeah right at episode one we came in with who's a host and who's not a host and the big reveal which was like <gasps> to us was that thing about we thought when we first sat down that teddy was a human and then it's revealed he's a host. And that was a big shock twist in that episode. And then and we haven't really been doing much of that since. Questioning things. Right. We've kind of moved off and followed the story. And I love this idea of Hopkins could have or sorry, Ford could have like a, an army of people that we don't know anything about. Like in the in the show. And it really starts to throw up once again this question of like you say, who's who's real, who's not real? Um, what decisions have been made? Like while we've been watching this story, which are ultimately what Hopkins is setting out all along, we don't know. And it's as 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 beautiful in its simplicity. It just it puts doubt. Oh, it just puts that, that that sprinkling of doubt there. It makes sense for me to think that Hopkins, like even before Teresa died, she basically puts out the question, which you have to think. Is a, an important question. Is this what happened to Arnold? Did right. Arnold, you know, did Arnold make this move? To we know he tried to stop the park, We'd, and this was, you know, Hopkins or Ford's ultimate dream, his vision or their vision together. He tried to stop it. Is this what happened? And I get the feeling that Hopkins would have come clean at this point because Teresa's on the way out, um, and he's like, "No, that's not what happened."
1: But do we believe that? I I, I think it's. Well, but he says that Bernard, it it was years after Arnold's death that Bernard existed or was around. So it's it's still not out of line to think that Bernard is sort of a clone of Arnold. Yeah, we don't know how long it took to do things back then. Um, Right, and to create a host and all that stuff. But it was clear like hosts were being... Anyway, but there, there is still a real possibility that the core theory of Bernard is the host version of Arnold is still on the table for sure. I think
2: so. Yeah, I, 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 that's still where I land. Even after watching this episode, is that's where I think we are. I think the the outcome from my point of view is yes, it's been identified that he's a robot. That explains why I couldn't see the picture. Right, all that stuff is fine. But I still think is because Hopkins raised that photograph up, to him and said Arnold's in this photo. And he couldn't see it. Now he can't see not only himself, obviously, but there are other things like there could you know, he'd just be programmed not to recognise what Arnold looks like. It could be something as simple as that. But knowing the way the show's going, I think it's very realistic that he is a clone of of Arnold. Um and it makes you wonder, once again, to timeline theory, um, the conversations we have with Bernard trying to well sitting down with Dolores, in what looks like that room, giving her things like um, Alice in Wonderland, and things like that. We know those two characters were tight, Arnold and Dolores. Is that you know? Is are these flashbacks to when Arnold was alive? Could we have three timelines on the go here, Bo?
1: it's it's possible um i I think that gets cumbersome from a writing point of view at a certain point um and and also tough to navigate a little bit even as a viewer like once you make that reveal, how do you start and to right that our, stuff i and I, I know, right I, our, I know dream but within a
2: dream within a dream
1: i, I you' you're not wrong it's just at a certain point it's like okay well, then what what do I feel sure of uh, in terms of what I know and what I can believe in this world? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have to have some level of sure footedness to some degree. Like I, I think the two timeline thing is going to catch some people off guard. Yeah. Um, you know, for people like us who have been maybe reading a little bit too much Reddit, not pointing fingers, <laughs> but uh where's my red bull right i got i got a two liter of diet mountain dew let's do this thing um (laughs) but i yeah i i I think that the two timelines make sense to me still because if you take that room and you remove the you know fabricating machine uh for the host then that could just be the room that bernard is talking to to dolores and one assumes about 30 years previously Mm-hmm. And that all feels right to me. Um, yeah. I, I, I like all that stuff. One one other point about the end of, the, of this episode, and particularly Teresa's death. Um, I think it's interesting to note that even though she dies pretty harshly, like, you know, again, getting your head bashed in is no way to go. Um, it's still presented in a much more obscured way. Like you pointed out, it's kind of in the background and blurred yeah and the when we see clementine essentially the same kind of scene with clementine there is no blurring it is in your face and yeah it's interesting that the show feels okay about showing the audience that but maybe not so much the human death you know um, yeah
2: I, th- I think it's that uh, maybe it is that maybe there is some sort of without going completely artistic maybe there is some sort of statement some statement in that about you know you know you, you know happy you know the understanding that this is one robot beating up on another robot maybe it's supposed to kind of make a statement on how people view violence and um this idea of you know it happening to someone else I, to be honest with you I think that that scene with Clementine was so jarring and it put me so, like, it was so uncomfortable to watch. That had they done the same at this episode, I kind of would have felt like the show was kind of trying to outdo itself in its violence. And in the episode, which I don't really want to see, I'm quite glad that they did just have it kind of obscured in the background, because um, I, I, I don't feel we need to linger on, on those, you know, two, two acts of of women being beaten up and or killed i don't think i don't think we need it but i think you are right i i wouldn't surprise me if there is some sort of statement veiled statement somewhere in the way it's shot and written
1: yeah i'm i i'm not smart enough to tell you exactly what that is quite yet but it it feels significant um so on on the table for us uh we haven't really moved any closer to the maze uh over the past couple of episodes although it certainly loomed over the show um William and Dolores are off into the wilds mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, for her hunt for the maze. But um, so, you know, we have that going on with the, the burgeoning consciousness there as well. Uh, Maeve is trying to bust out of the joint. Um, mm-hmm. I think to your point about yeah, the line of, you know, everything down to your skin is, is keeping you here. Uh, yeah. I do think we're going to see something along those lines in the next episode or two. Mm-hmm. um where she realizes that she really is in a in a fishbowl uh partly because it's a spaceship but you know we'll get that <laughs> um we don't really know what Ford's big plan is with his his build but it no. feels like something real significant is coming out of that and i i don't know it, you know it's clearly not something from the past but uh who knows and and we still have all these broadcasts like who's who's broadcasting uh to the uh the host these first first gen og hosts uh who is who is giving them instructions and disrupting uh their programming is it arnold is it a clone of arnold is it uh you know hopkins himself is it ford uh mm-hmm. s- but that seems unlikely um yeah it's a lot of questions on the on the table here duncan i i think we've established some of the things we believe are true but i don't I don't know that we have any good answers for those big questions.
2: No, th- this show gave us what a lot of people are saying is this huge reveal, and it is a huge reveal. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a penny in the ocean. You know what I mean? It's it's there is so much more that the show has to get into. Um, so many things it needs to tell us, and so much more that I know for a fact is going to l- surprise you know, audiences, myself, yourself included, I can't wait to get into it. We're three from the end, Bo, three from the end. And unless this show basically turns into Anthony Hopkins teaching crochet, which, I mean, it could, and to be honest with you, I'd probably still watch it, because there'd be something delightful about the old man teaching you crochet. Um, It it has been one of the true highlights of this year for me. I, I don't even... Like we talked about like becoming super fans of the show. I genuinely think the show is operating on a completely different level to pretty much everything else I've seen this year. And doing it with ease, it doesn't it doesn't look like it's straining itself yet. It doesn't look like that is in a huge hurry to answer the questions that it needs to answer. And to be honest with you, I'm not in the biggest hurry to have them all given to me either. I'm quite happy now that I know there's a second season, Dreamlet is definitely gonna happen. I'm cool to let this show do what it needs to do and come back in the next year um, and, and continue on with the story of whichever way it sees fit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a fine show. I think we pointed out a few of the logicals of, well, why did they do this and that, and that sort of thing. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not flawless execution, but given the degree of difficulty, yeah, You know, it's one of those uh, Olympic scoring situations where, like, why did the horse explode is maybe not that big a deal when you're talking yeah. about, like, oh, we're also weaving together what is, in theory, a couple of different timelines involving some of the same characters at different points in their life. And, it, like, if that's ulti- really what they're managing to do here, and, and again, all evidence... supports this if not suggests it then yeah then the little stuff i'm i'm more than willing to let slide because the big stuff is so good yeah Um, agreed and and the second it it goes off the rails the second it does become a show of you know who's a host and who's not i i i mean i don't want to say that i would bail on the show or anything but it's hard to imagine how you sustain a show being interesting if that's kind of the the motivation for watching it yeah Um,
2: but i think i think it's done i think it's done really an interesting thing to distract us for about six episodes from that question and then one thing happens at the end of this episode and then that question becomes relevant again um i think that's really quite interesting and for all for all we know beginning the next episode will Will you know take us in a different direction where we won't be thinking about that again until something else happens, and I'm cool with that. I'm I'm totally cool with that. I, like I, Ford has a plan, or he has an ultimate goal, um, very much like Delos has an ultimate goal, and the Man in Black has an ultimate goal, and potentially early Dolores has an ultimate goal, and we have to assume Arnold, um, if he is. A ghost in the the machine or whatever um, has a plan, and we need to start. I think we, as it gets closer to the end of this first season, I think we'll start to see plans either come to fruition or certainly more cards on the table. Um, and I can't wait. I actually, can't wait. Uh, this is. I'm really glad that we're doing these shows as well. It gives me a good opportunity to get some stuff out. Um, and bounce them off you so you can say, Well, yeah, Duncan, or No, <laughs> wrong, <laughs> that's, that's not right. It's a spaceship, and yeah. um, so yeah.
1: I, uh, before we wrap things up here, uh, this comes from uh, the webpage over at uh, legionpodcasts.com. Uh you can actually uh find Duncan and Bocum Correct. If you look for Duncan and Bocum Correct, you will find uh the page for all these episodes, uh as well as, you know, their own individual pages. But it, it was there, Duncan, that someone left us a comment. In this case, uh a gentleman who goes by the handle voodoo gremlin uh had been mentioning uh suggesting some possible theories along the way. And this most recently uh he he posts um, new man in black theory, Duncan. Oh, he says, William's last name is Ford and he's the man in black. He's Anthony Hopkins son. After his visit to Westworld, he disowned slash became estranged from his father and began a quest to unlock the hosts. He grew ambitious and took over Logan's company, uh, for one of a better description with the help of his new wife and got a hold of a uh, part of Delos and became a member of the board giving him the VIP status, which allows him to roam the park for the next 30 years. If you're wondering how he can be part of Delos and the life-saving organization, it's possible uh, for people to be members of multiple boards. And many people are today. Bernard, he, he says, uh, or suggests is Hopkins attempt at making an obedient son in his own image to get over the pseudo loss of his biological son, uh, William, which would rely heavily on the, uh, multiple timeline theory of course so uh, I, I, you know I'm not I, I, I don't quite go as far as William being Hopkins I didn't son know.
2: I didn't realize his surname was Ford
1: well I I don't think that's been revealed I think that's uh, that's our pal uh, suggesting that that's going to be a reveal that oh right. his last name is is for it as well. Uh,
2: ah, there's a couple of things that like, how would he not know about what happened to Arnold then? Cause there's a whole conversation between William and his friend, whose name escapes me because we're not seeing him since he got beat up. Um, Logan. Logan. Yeah. Yeah. There was a whole conversation where Logan basically said to him, there was this other guy, you know, the two guys that founded this park. one of them, why would William not acknowledge any of that? It would be his dad that did it
1: uh yeah yeah i mean I, I, unless unless he's you know was just playing dumb or or that's a point of contention in their relationship that he Maybe. doesn't know you know um i don't yeah i mean it's not it's not the craziest theory i've ever heard around this show uh um, no, I've, I've given plenty more than that so. yeah yeah i i'm i'm not sure but it is interesting that We don't very pointedly like we know the the last names of most of the hosts, but we certainly don't know the last name of William or Logan Um, or the black or or the man in black. Who and I'm just working under the assumption at this point that William is the man in black. I it just makes too much sense to me. Um, Mm. that it's just become an expectation. Like when it's weird because when I watch this show now, I'm watching it with the perspective of okay we're dealing with two timelines and Williams the man in black like I go into that with that assumption and uh, I just do you, think, do you think we're dealing with two
2: Doloreses as well then um I think you could be looking at there was plans in that room for Dolores we know she's a, the one of the older ones and we know that Arthur create, uh, Arnold created her which means that she could very well be had been created in that original room yeah Oh, but sure. maybe something happens to Dolores um in the previous timeline with William, and then she's recreated, yeah, yeah potential- I don't know i I just thought why show us the why shows the blueprints for for Dolores there to serve any other purpose than than to say this place is old um I don't know. It seems strange. Well, once again, if you're looking at detail, why? um, I don't know. That's something to think about as well. Hopefully that'll be answered. Especially because Bernard's been there for a long, long time. We know Bernard's been there for a long time.
0: Yeah.
2: So Bernard's been there for a long time, and Dolores has been there for a long time. Why were both our blueprints in the same room? Yeah. Think about it, Bo. Think about it.
1: You're blowing my mind, man uh yeah i'm I, a
2: man i eat
1: sorry <laughs> uh, once again nowhere i i feel like uh the next i mean three episodes to go and i think all three are going to be stunners in terms of what are what reveals oh still await us and yeah. you know i'll be satisfied if it's the timelines and william being the man in black and all that uh, I'm hoping that this show does something even crazier that still <laughs> makes sense. You know, that it just it surprises me and, and subverts uh mm-hmm. the expectations and assumptions I've 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 kind of grown to uh solidify for myself. Um, what happens
2: if at the end the man in black spins a top on the table um and it keeps just spinning around them just before it tips over the camera stops. <laughs> Uh, I think that <laughs> I think people would take to the streets. Um, they reach the center of the maze, and we could like it's it's like that scene in Pulp Fiction where he opens the suitcase and you know are we good? Are we good? And all we see is the glow from the center of the maze on the man in black's face, and then the credits. I'll tell you
1: the the ending I would love for this whole series: mole people. Obviously, uh, no, no, no. It, it and it would. It truly would cause a riot, I think. <laughs> but if if you get like build up for a couple three episodes, like we know where the center of the maze is, you know, like we've located this spot in the park, this underground bunker or something, and they go there, and as soon as they open the door behind the door, the man at the center of the maze is Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> and he just says, Hey everyone, thanks for watching Westworld and credits. That's the end.
2: <laughs> oh my god, to get to the center of the maze and Anthony Hopkins is there like in a straight jacket, wearing a muzzle mask to protect them being wheeled out to speak to them. And and they're like what's going on here and the man in black is in a lavish suit. Um that would be also equally amazing. Yeah
1: yeah i i think we've got a lot of good ideas here to work with
2: so many ideas so many potential
1: theories let's
2: be honest none of them realistic but that's what makes them fun and theories
1: yes yes i i'll tell you that now that i've said it the gilbert godfrey thing i I may write it's gonna happen yeah Yeah, i may just be like look if you if you have any questions about how to wrap this thing up just gilbert godfrey thanking everyone for watching and then credits I you know
2: need. that you have filmed an ending let me propose an alternate that you want to film now and put in it <laughs> instead it will please only I but I
1: think it will be bold and remembered for many many years It's uh, honestly it's kind of how I wish every series ended just with uh, like you know you open a door and there's Gilbert Godfrey thanking you for watching the series and then you're done you don't have to wrap anything up <laughs> So it, it's kind of genius in its way. Um, they start they start season two of Westworld with recasting William
2: and the Man in Black with Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell.
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> Westworld season two. <laughs> I, yeah, I want to see True Detective in Westworld.
2: Oh my God, we will get those. I still hold out that that season two wasn't as bad as people said it was, and I still kind of hope that one day we get that season three
1: yeah season two isn't as bad as a lot of people uh said it was and it's not as good as some people pretend it was um yeah it's it's okay it's got it's in the middle yeah Yeah,
2: it's got it's got problems um but there's one of the one of the most nihilistic endings ever captured on tv um yeah i don't know unless we see unless unless bernard really has a shitty day next week um
1: yeah, I think this oh. whole episode uh should just be entitled Poor Bernard. Um yeah. so <laughs> Bernard's big day out. Um <laughs> <laughs> boy was it. What a what a day. And and probably one he's had before. Like that's the real oh, tragedy. That's,
2: yes, is, he could have come to this realization multiple times.
1: Well, it's the thing of Maeve pulling up the floorboard and there are all the pictures that she's drawn day after day after day to try to remind herself of of uh, these dreams and, and visions that she's had. I mean, it's, it's, (sighs) it's the horror of Sisyphus, you know, of, of never being able to, uh, to finish the task at hand. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, all right. So anything else out of you, Duncan, before we, we put a lid on this and, and turn our eyes, uh, to episode eight next week? Uh, No, just
2: once again, thanks for checking out. Make sure that you post all your theories and feedback um, on legionpodcast.com. And uh, I look forward to being um, on next week's episode, back up to date with the episodes with Bo. um, And take care until I speak to you then.
1: Yeah. So uh, as Duncan said, uh, please check us out on LegionPodcasts.com uh, also over in iTunes, if you can leave us a, a rating and review, that's always appreciated. And of course, uh, tell anyone uh, that you may know who's into Westworld. Uh, if you like our particular brand of hijinks, then uh, uh, send them our way. That would be appreciated. And uh, thanks again, as always, to Duncan, who is uh, just a genius and and is wonderful to chat with about this show. And uh, and that's it. We will we'll see everyone in about a week for episode eight. Good night, everybody. Bye.